When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. There is still a war raging in Eastern Europe. As it stands now... Russian troops have reportedly reached the outskirts of Kiev. Russian mechanized forces are now um, apparently on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital city. CNN, Fox News, most of the other media outlets reporting that officials with the Biden administration uh, told housemakers yesterday that uh, the Russian military is the short distance away from Kiev. Uh, the officials added another Russian military element in Ukraine is a bit further away, but both are headed for the capital with the goal of surrounding that city and possibly overthrowing the Ukrainian government. So far, close to 140 Ukrainian military members have lost their lives and more than 300 others have been hurt in this Russian invasion that started a little more than 24 hours ago. We're going to be monitoring the situation for the next four hours. We'll bring you all the latest news all the latest analysis, and we are going to take your calls a little bit later on on that. Now, the dirty little secret about me is, I and this might not be a secret with some of you, I have absolutely no idea how to do a talk show. No idea. And unlike, uh, you know, write, you know uh, where you can buy a book about screenwriting or writing a novel or writing a poem or... Um, you know, books to prepare for the bar to help you become a lawyer or whatever the case may be. There's really no training ground for becoming a radio talk show host. So much of it is more instinct than science. So much of it is kind of knowing by feeling what to do rather than uh, ascribing to some sort of scientific script, even though there's all sorts of radio consultants that have made a, a lot of money. Out of, out of pretending that there is a script and a formula that will make a radio show successful. So when there's a day like today, I am at a complete loss for how to handle that on the radio. Because as you know, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, I don't think there's a show in America, um, at least on commercial talk radio, that has spent more time analyzing the situation involving Russia and Ukraine than me, long before this latest flare-up. So the, part of the reason that I do that is because there are, were a lot of other shows that weren't covering it, and I try to be your alternative. But the other reason is I'm interested in it, right? So on a day like today, I could do all four hours just talking about Russia and Ukraine. The geopolitical impact, the impact for America's economy, the national security impact, the uh, my hopes, my fears, how we got here, where we're going. But 
It's interesting. My wife was telling me yesterday, my sister was over, and I heard her tell the two of us that when she woke up in the middle of the night to feed our son, she picked up her phone and she saw nothing but alerts about Ukraine. And she said, oh, that's it. I can't do this right now. I don't want I can't hear about this in the middle of the night. I'm not going to turn on the television. I'm not going to turn on the radio because I can't be deluged with all sorts of news about us being on the precipice of World War Three. So I'm left with quite the conundrum, right, which is right now the biggest story in the world is something that I am incredibly interested in. I wouldn't say it's a subject that I've studied, but it's a subject that I've researched a bit. It's a a subject that I spend a lot of time thinking about. It's a subject that I spend a little bit of time reading about. It's a subject that I followed very closely. I think followed is a better, better verb to use there than studied. So I could spend four hours talking about Russia and Ukraine, but I could also spend four hours talking about pro wrestling or Star Trek or the New York Mets or any variety or obscure New York politicians. I could do that just about every day. But I kind of think that maybe you're not that interested in that sort of a thing. So while this is going on, what I decided today, and I'm sort of flexible on this, but what I decided technically yesterday was the following, that we're going to cover the Russia issue. We're going to cover this Russia-Ukraine war, and we're going to do it every day. But we're not going to do it for an hour or four hours most days, unless there's stuff that requires a one-hour or four-hour explanation. We're going to do a segment or two on the Ukraine situation each and every day. So um, we're going to try. We'll try and have an expert on, and we're going to have all points of view on. I'm going to try and showcase all points of view in all diverse areas of expertise. And coming up on that subject, we have Clint Ehrlich. Uh, joining us at uh, 3.30 this morning. He's a, a real expert on that subject. I'm looking forward to that conversation. We'll talk about sanctions and where what the president announced yesterday. Are those going to be effective? What impact will that have on Russia? What impact will that have on the United States? And was this avoidable? We're going to get into that with Clint Ehrlich. But uh, so we're going to have guests on. We'll try and do a guest a day on this subject that brings you something new, ideally a perspective that you don't hear someone else. And in the 2 o'clock hour, I'll give you my two cents about where we are and where the media is is leading us at this moment. And I'll give you an opportunity to weigh in. But that's it. I'm going to do two segments, one in the two, one in the three, about the Russia-Ukraine situation. It may make its way into other segments as well. And if you have questions about it in hour one, that's certainly fine. But I kind of think that uh, if you want to talk about Russia, if you want to talk about Ukraine, come back at 2 o'clock, call back at 2 o'clock on that subject. Now, it is Friday, and that means this is the hour where everything is limitless, where I will take your questions on just about any subject. And again, if you want to ask a question about Ukraine, I will answer it. I would prefer that you wait until 2 o'clock. If there's any other subjects that you have questions about, now's the time because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. I can't believe a week has gone by, but this is a lot of folks' favorite segment of the entire week. 
It's the subject where you get to ask me questions about just about anything you like. And I will make a good faith effort to answer those questions. Now, what does that mean if you're new to the show? Now, that doesn't mean you can ask me obscure trivia questions because I'll either know them or I won't know them. What it means is um, if you have questions about any specific subject, you have a question about um, radio, you have a question about uh, my personal life, because believe it or not, even in spite of a lot of the criticism that I get, I try not to deluge you with the most mundane details of my personal life unless I uh, think you're going to find it interesting. If you have questions about baseball, Star Trek, film, cinema, business, New York, the mob, aliens, the criminal justice system, or uh, just about any subject in the world, I will make an effort to answer your questions. Whatever the topic is, gambling, Atlantic City, you name it, cocktails, food, whatever. If you have questions, I will make an effort to answer them. And in order to sweeten the pot a bit, whoever comes up with uh, the most interesting question, we are going to give a prize to. You'll win a free The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap. And uh, you will get to the the winner is not selected by me, but by our illustrious staff of Molly, Matt and Alex and the, the three of them. They'll, by majority vote, come up with whomever asks the most interesting question. Now, the most interesting question is not always the most obscure. It's usually the question that evokes the most interesting conversation. So that is where we are. 800-848-9222. And we want really questions. We don't really want a lengthy monologue and at the end of it you say, right um, that's not a question. That's you filibustering. There's an opportunity for that uh, a little bit later in the show. 800-848-9222, answering your questions on any subject. And let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Frank, would you rather have, would you rather have access to a to warp drive or a time machine? I would go with the time machine uh, because I look, I'm a big student of history and I'm also very curious about the future. So I would love to go back in time 200, 300, 400 years, see my ancestors, what they were up to, what they were doing, also be able to observe history at different times. Uh, But I'm also just so curious about the future. When do we finally get those uh, flying cars like we've been hearing about in the Jetsons for so long? So I would absolutely take the time machine. I'm just curious, Pete, what would you pick? Oh, time machine also, Frank. All right. Well, I'll see you. uh, I'll see you along the space time continuum then, Pete. Okay, with Dr. Beckett, sure. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. 800-848-WABC, answering your questions on any subject. That's 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Listen, Frank, in light of the MTA admitting that about 42% of the bus and subway riders don't pay their fare, uh, how can we respect any politician that lets this go on and forces people who are honest to have to pay through the nose while others are just skirting the system. Well, look, I think uh, fare evasion, both subway and bus, is very real. I think it's a big problem, and as Bill Bratton and others have said, they found that when they would arrest people that were stopped for fare evasion, they would find criminals that were guilty of any number of other crimes. Additionally, 
they found that uh, stopping fare evasion prevented a lot of crime on the subway. However, I do have to tell you, I'm a guy that takes the bus pretty regularly. And I was surprised in reading that article this week that I'm apparently one of the few people that's still paying the fare. Now, there have been times when I swiped the Met- my Metro card on the bus and I didn't realize that I only had $4 and it's a $6.25 fare or something along those lines. And, you know, I have to beg the bus driver to let me on. And sometimes he'll let me on with no problem. Sometimes he'll say, sorry, you know, you can't come on. Other times he'll give me a guilt trip, roll his eyes, and then say, all right, go ahead. Now I'm not even going to pretend to pay the fare. Uh, Look, I'm one of the few suckers that are still paying their bus fare in this city. No, no, no. I'm going to stop paying my bus fare just like everyone else is. I was very pleased to see that article. Nobody's getting prosecuted. The MTA admits there's nothing they could do about it. What am I paying my bus fare for? Those days are over. 800-848-WABC, answering your questions on any subject. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hi, uh, uh, Frank. Haven't talked to you in a while. Good to hear you. What was it that happened that... Uh, seemingly, all of a sudden, Bob Grant got ticked off at Mario Cuomo, and it was permanent from then on. It must have been something that happened. What happened that made Bob Grant uh, really mad at Mario Cuomo? You know, I, I, he writes about that in his book a little bit. I mean, clearly, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know uh, is the short answer. I think that um, Mario had complained that um, that the kind of coverage that um, that uh, Bob was doing when when Cuomo was running for governor uh, might have been in 80. No, it was in 1977 um, when he was running for mayor against Ed Koch. Mario, who had had a uh, a friendly relationship with Bob Grant beforehand, he had complained about Mario's about uh, Bob Grant's coverage being uh, slanted towards Ed Koch and away from Cuomo. I think that's what began it. And then it was just this, uh, it, it's like a lot of feuds that begin. There's just this war that escalated and kept growing and growing. And look, um, Mario's politics were not Bob Grant's politics. So once Mario became governor and started instituting things like record high taxes and opposing the death penalty, which Bob was very much in favor of, and um, you know, criticizing Reagan, who Bob Grant was a big favor, a uh, big uh, fan of. That was only I mean, it's only natural that Bob was going to get pretty ticked off. So uh, I think what began it was that 1977 mayoral race. And at the time, Bob was on W.O.R. at the time, uh, 710. And, uh, you know, I, I, but that's a good question. I'm going to research that a little bit more. And the next time John Minnelli's on the show or the next time I speak with my friend Jay Diamond, I will ask them both uh, about the answer, their answer to your question. They may have a more uh, drawn out, more substantial answer to that. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. LQ is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, LQ. Uh, yes. Good morning. Peace to all. Absolutely. Um, Mr. Morano, uh, I'm with a question about Columbo, uh, the series that used to be with Peter Falk. Yes. A year ago. Um, there was one episode that I maybe I'm imagining, uh, I'm getting seen now in my old age, that he couldn't solve the crime. He knew the criminal was um, guilty and the criminal knew, but he couldn't get the proof. And I'm trying to find out what was that one, I, you know, 
there was one that I seen that he let a lady off because she was near her death and her, her good friend, a movie star, uh, he took the weight for her, but that's not the one. I'm just trying to so if you have knowledge of or you could find it, I'll call you in another time. I, I, or maybe I'm just seeing now in my old age. You know, look, I, I've seen Columbo and I like Columbo, but I'm not, I'm by no means an expert in Columbo. I don't remember the episode that you're referring to. If someone else does and they want to, uh, you know, they want to uh, let let uh, LQ know what it is that he's remembering, email me and I will share it on the air. Uh, my email is frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay. Hey, good to talk to you, Frank. In your opinion, Frank, who is your most favorite or the greatest rock and roll band ever? Well, look. Um, the greatest and my favorite are different, right? If you're talking the greatest, I think you have to, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty close call between the Beatles and Rolling Stones because their music has has uh, withstood the test of time and the volume of great songs that both of those bands have is just extraordinary. In terms of my favorite, there's two bands that I really love that speak to me. Uh, I don't. I guess you could consider them both rock bands. Although I guess you might be able to consider both of them uh, indie or alternative. There are so many genres now. I don't even know what's what. But the two bands that I really, really enjoy are that are around these days are Edward Sharp and the Magnet- Magnetic Zeros, which are terrific. We play some of their music from time to time, and Fitz and the Tantrums. Both of those bands. I am yet to discover uh, one of their songs that I don't love. And yeah, see, there you go. Uh, there's Ed Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros right there. But uh, there's also an ex- a, a, a sort of, a kind of obscure in this country glam rock band. Um, I think they're from the UK. And I just love their music. It's weird. It's whacked out. It's bizarre. They're called the Scissor Sisters. Absolutely love the Scissor Sisters. Some of you might remember from my interview with Dennis Quaid, I played a portion of their song, I Don't Feel Like Dancing. And when I first heard that song, I could have taken a lie detector test that what they were saying was um, soft shoe Dennis Quaid, when in actuality they were saying soft shoe gentle sway. So uh, those are three that immediately come to mind. I don't know if any of them are considered rock and roll in the traditional sense. But Ed Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, Fitz and the Tantrums, the Scissor Sisters. Uh, if I had to pick three favorites, those would be uh, them. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Chris in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hi, Frank. Uh, I was just wondering, have you ever fired a gun before? Uh, you know what? N- no, not with live ammunition. I fired guns that um you know that were part of a simulation and they were real guns but they were they didn't have live ammunition they were kind of um uh jury rigged so that they they had the weight of a real gun and it w- it was a real gun but it was made so that it, it didn't have bullets in it it was a simulation interesting okay how about you what's Thank your you. gun experience uh, uh, well, you know, I used to go when I was younger. I haven't gone in a long, long time, but I used to go shooting like weekly. Now the bullets are so expensive. I don't even want to go. But I can imagine. I used to go. 
yeah, weekly I, with friends of mine. You know, and obviously I've done, uh, you know, uh, BB guns and air guns, but no, I've never done, uh, I've never fired a gun with uh, with live ammunition, real bullets. No. Good question, though. 800-848-9222, wabc Stuart is in Queens. Hello, Stuart. Hey, Frank. Stuart from Four Horse Tales. So I'm curious if you have any update with your conversations with Curtis about him uh, keeping his word with me to return my. Uh, uh, I will be uh, I will be giving an update on that on Monday after I do some oh. extensive lobbying of Curtis over the weekend. If people don't know what Stewart's talking about, uh, Curtis was very rude to him, kind of was very dismissive. Stewart raised a couple of interesting points, and um, Stewart was maxed out to Curtis, gave him a $2,000 donation for mayor, and then Curtis said that he would send Stewart's campaign donation back. As it stands now, Stewart has not received his donation. So if Curtis doesn't send him the money back, we're going to do a GoFundMe uh, so that Stewart gets his money back. It's a real shame that, um, you know, that uh, that he would be uh, betrayed by Curtis in such a manner. We'll continue with your questions in just a moment. One open line. So if you've been trying to get through, now's the time. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Uh, trying to answer your questions on any subject, whatever the topic may be. Film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, you name it, now's the time. 800 848 WABC. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello there, Jeff. Hi, Frank. How you doing tonight? I, I know you don't like that question. Anyway, I don't care that. about that I question. I do have a question for you. Yeah, I mean, I the, 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 amount of, the amount of nuts, the amount of um, time that Curtis spends I, I, going nuts on that question. Put him on Luke. You know, I mean, you could just say, fine. Nobody really cares how you're doing. It's just a way of being sort of polite. I, I don't care if people ask how I'm doing. It's fine with me. Anyway, good. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Some sports. I'm ready. Uh, are the Rangers going to win the Stanley Cup? You know, honestly, I think the last time that I watched a full hockey game was 1994 when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. I have no idea what is going on in the world of hockey. I couldn't even tell you whether it's hockey season right now. I know nothing about hockey. I know, what are you asking me for? I know that hockey, uh, and I used to like street hockey as a kid, but I know that professional hockey is played on ice and that there's a puck and that there are three periods and that you have to try to score goals. What I just said, that is the extent of my knowledge of hockey. Do you know how many players that I can name on the Rangers? Probably zero, maybe one. Probably zero, though. I know nothing about hockey. But, like most people on the radio, that won't stop me from answering your question. I will say, unfortunately, no. The Rangers will not win. The Stanley Cup this year. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to Sam in New Jersey. Hello, Sam. Hey, Frank. What up? How you doing? How have you been? Great. 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 Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Now, am I allowed to ask, can I ask two questions? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, just don't be, uh, don't go crazy there, Sam. Don't go hog wild. Yeah, I'll go easy on you. Don't worry about it. All right. First question is. Well, it started off just, you know, hey, are you Christian? What type of Christian? Jewish? What type? What sect? What type? Uh, added to that question is, I mean, on top of that, what's your actual personal belief? Do you believe in one God, the same God as the Christians, Jews? So that's my first question. Well, look, uh, so I consider myself a uh, a Christian, right? Uh, I identify mostly as uh, an Episcopalian these days, but the Episcopal Church they view themselves as being both Catholic and Protestant. So, um, so you know, I guess I and I was I, I received all my Catholic sacraments as a young person, and I, I am still trying to lobby my wife on baptizing our son as Catholic, so that maybe he could grow up to be Pope one day. But um, so I view myself as a Christian when it comes to exactly what type of Christian uh, that you know that maybe is a little less clear, uh, but I'm comfortable identifying as either a Catholic or an Episcopalian or or both. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that dovetails pretty well with my theological beliefs. Uh, so that's that's sort of what I believe. I, I believe in Jesus and the Holy Trinity and the Holy Apostolic Church and Jesus so on and for, so on and so forth. Uh, let me say hello to Jacob in New Jersey. Hello, Jacob. Hey, hey Frank, how are you? Well, um, uh, it remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, without, if, without leaving Trump off the ticket in 2024, who would get your vote? Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis. Is that it? My list ends there. I could go. I could keep going. Keep I'm going. Just, keep you going. Any other one? Keep going. Uh. There could be it could be Tim Scott, it could be Marco Rubio, it could be it could be uh Well, so look, uh, keep in mind, right, so I'm not a Republican. So I would not be able to vote in a Republican primary because New York doesn't allow independents uh to vote. Of the Republicans that are possible presidential candidates in um 2024. Uh, I, you, none of the ones that you mentioned, except maybe Ron DeSantis, really excite me. Uh, there are some things that I like about uh, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota, although I'd like yeah, to hear. I, to, yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, I, I'd sorry. like to hear a bit more from her on, um, especially on foreign policy. Uh, I re- I do like uh, I do like Rand Paul uh, a bit. Uh, the um, so basically what I'd be looking for, and I don't think that this was present on anybody, uh, you know, in what you you the list that you mentioned is I'm looking for somebody that has pretty close to the p- policy positions that Donald Trump had when he ran for president on 2016, meaning a secure border, including a wall, get cracking down on illegal immigration um, not getting involved in foreign wars in the Middle East um, and, and having better relationships with countries like Russia and North Korea uh, and being opposed to reckless free trade and uh, being opposed to these NAFTA style free trade deals. So. I, again, I, I haven't heard much from DeSantis on trade. I haven't heard much from DeSantis on foreign policy. But I, I would have, I, based on the criteria that I just laid out, 
I don't know that there's anybody on your list that would really speak to me. Now, with Rand Paul runs, I know I'm getting somebody that I agree with on foreign policy. I'm getting someone that I don't agree with on trade, but I agree with on civil liberties. So um, I, if, if you threw Rand Paul onto the list of folks that you mentioned, he would get my vote. But I'll be honest, Jacob, assuming no Trump in the race, um, I, I don't like any of those candidates. I don't like any of those candidates. And I'll be very honest, I'm thinking of... Uh, and this is just a thought. This is not a well-thought-out plan or anything like that. But I'm giving some ther- serious thought to starting a uh, polit- political action committee to draft Tulsi Gabbard for president in 2024. Her leadership on the Russia issue, not only over the course of her uh, three terms in Congress, but over the course of the last 40 hours, has to me distinguished her in a manner that the rest of the foreign policy elites are just missing out on. I'd love to see a Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Jim Webb ticket as a, as an independent ticket in the general election, or a Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang ticket. That would really excite me. Um, voting for any of the people that you just mentioned would not excite me. Uh, Marco Rubio, he has come a long way from where he was four years ago and eight years ago. Or yeah, four years ago and eight years ago. And I like what he's done on aliens. He's been a real leader on the issue of UFO disclosure in the U.S. Senate. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And that should be an issue in the upcoming presidential race is what are what is whomever gets elected going to do on the issue of disclosure of information about extraterrestrials. But uh, none of the people that you mentioned really excite me for various reasons. 800-848-WABC, that's uh, 800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hello, Frank. Hello. Frank, um, I'm hoping that you can tell me a good pairing between a cigar and a cordial. Well, so I will ask that same question to our guest, Gary Korb, at 430, because this weekend is National Cigar Day, and uh, I have a bunch of cigar questions that I'm going to I'm going to ask him, but it depends on um, on what kind of cigar that you have. But generally, as a general rule, whether you're talking a stronger cigar or a lighter cigar, the best spirits to pair with cigars are whiskeys, a good single malt scotch, a a nice high end bourbon. Uh, A lot of people like rye with a cigar or but other people enjoy port. Um, A lot of people enjoy cognac. My I like a good whiskey, although I'll be honest, when I had Gary Corbon a year ago for National Cigar Day, he kind of got me into pairing coffee and a cigar, which I, I have really enjoyed the the taste of. And this way it doesn't get me drunk that early if uh, if I have a cigar early in the uh, in the day. Uh, the one thing that I would call look, ultimately the right answer, Gina, is whatever you like. I would encourage people to experiment with different flavors, different palates that uh, that they find appealing and find what works for them. But a lot of people like rum and a cigar. The one thing that I would really discourage people from doing and I, uh, is white wine. If you have white wine with a cigar, to me, it ruins the cigar and it ruins the white wine. Now, I'll remember, maybe it was six or seven years ago, I was smoking a cigar with my dad and I, it was a summer day. And we were in his backyard, and I was drinking some white wine, and I said, let me light up the cigar. And um, and he said, stop drinking that. And 
He and I didn't want to waste the wine. And I said, uh, "Well, no, I don't want to stop drinking." He said, "Trust me. Listen to your father. Stop drinking it." He was absolutely right. That was a losing pairing. But I find a good whiskey, a nice single malt scotch, a nice bourbon. Can't beat it. I'm going to try and do that tomorrow if weather permits and uh, the opportunity prevent, presents itself. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Trying to answer your questions on any subject. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Okay, I'll give you a contemporary question because I don't think we should be straying too far from the subject at hand. Uh, which do you think is worse? Going to fight a battle in a far-off land um, for the sake of an unproven domino theory uh, in a battle that has nothing to do with us, a fight that has nothing to do with us, or failing to rally to the defense of, of, of a country that is more akin to our ally but not yet established and watching a whole country of people get slaughtered. Um, again, Larry, I'd need to see the specifics of a given circumstance. And you kind of did what, I asked people not to do, which is you gave a whole spiel and then you 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 basically tried to masquerade it as a question when it really wasn't a question. I uh, I think whenever possible, the United States should avoid getting involved in foreign conflicts unless the security of the United States or her allies is threatened. And sometimes that means watching as some very painful things occur. But I'm of the belief that the United States should not be the world's policeman. And far too often we try to be the world's policeman and it gets us in trouble. And we've seen that in Iraq. We've seen that in Afghanistan. We've seen that in Libya. We've seen that in Egypt. I think to some extent we're seeing it in eastern Ukraine. I don't think the United States should be sticking its nose in other people's business. Now, meantime... I am for having the biggest, baddest military there is, having um, troops even at the border to protect people from going in. But do I think we need troops in Germany and Japan and on the demilitarized zone uh, and in Kuwait? Uh, no, no. I don't think we should be um, – I, I think the American military is way too spread out all over the globe. And as far as I'm concerned, the United States should go what has worked for us for 100 years or so – minding its own business and not be, as John Quincy Adams said, going abroad in search of monsters to destroy. Uh, if someone's a threat to the United States, let's make sure our citizens are protected. If someone attacks the United States, then may the full wrath of God fall upon you. But if uh, I don't think we should be getting involved in foreign conflicts. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Danny is in Brooklyn. Hello, Danny. Hi, Frank. Uh, I know ABC boosts their signal to 50,000 watts at night. It bounces off the ionosphere and it can go like halfway around, uh, across the country. In the daytime, though, how many watts do they transmit at? No, it must uh, be much lower. No, WABC is 50,000 watts day and night. Wow. Yeah. Now, the reason the reason you hear WABC uh, clearer at night, it's I mean, there are a variety of factors, but there are other frequencies that broadcast on 770 around the country and those power down at night. So that means there is no interference if you listen on 770 a.m. between here and Albuquerque. 
there's no uh, nobody competing for this signal strength. There's nobody competing for this little area. And uh, obviously there are a lot of other factors uh, that lead to WABC having such a strong signal at uh, at night. But no, WABC is a full 50,000 watts day and night. Always has been. Now, why don't the other stations do that, like uh, WOR or the fan? Or WOR w- is also 50,000 watts. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but a lot of it is um, a function of... Uh, needing FCC permission, right? Uh, you have to get permission from FCC, and uh, that could that could encroach upon other stations' uh, territory. But no station would intentionally choose to have a worse signal than it does. Also, you got to keep in mind that wattage does not tell the whole story. The station I worked at before this was nine seventy a.m. Now that was a uh, full 50, that was a fifty thousand watt station. But it w- it's not a, especially at night, it was not a powerful 50,000 watts. Now, 570 a.m., WMCA, a lot of folks may remember as both a talk station and a music station, that station is not 50,000 watts. I think it's, it's, it's 10,000 watts. But even though it's 10,000 watts, because it's lower down on the radio dial, uh, 10,000 watts at 5, actually, it's only a 5,000 watt station. 5,000 watts at 570 is more powerful and more clear and has more signal strength than 50,000 watts at 970. So you don't want to get hung up solely on the issue of watts. There are a lot of other factors, how close the other uh, stations are. Like 770 is so blessed because we have on our lower end six dial positions away from the nearest station to us. So there's no interference. Uh, you're guaranteed three spots either way, and we have six on our lower end, and then we have five uh, signal signal uh, positions on our upper end. There's nothing until 820. So there's a lot of reasons why this is such a powerful signal, but it's not solely due to watts, although that's certainly part of it. 800-848-WABC. Uh, that's 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions in a minute. Two open lines if you want to jump on board. If you want to talk about Ukraine, call back at 2 o'clock. We're going to focus a little bit on Ukraine there. Uh, again, my thinking here is there's a lot going on in the world. And there's a lot of things I want to talk about that aren't necessarily tied to the news in general. So I'm not going to make every show uh, gavel-to-gavel coverage of the war in Ukraine. So every show will do a segment or two about what's happening in Eastern Europe, but we'll also cover the governor's race. We'll also cover comedy and entertainment and movies and books and aliens and the legal system and a wide variety of other subjects, sports. So uh, that's that's sort of that's my thinking in terms of uh, what we're going to do here. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead. WABC.
It is Friday. Got to get down on Friday, just like Rebecca Black says. She had a uh, song uh, about Saturday. Did not take off. Didn't take off. But uh, this is just a classic, right? 800-848-WABC. Taking your questions on any subject. Let me say hello to Joe on Long Island. Hello, Joe. Hey, how are you, buddy? Did you find your wife's car yesterday? This morning? I got to tell you. No tickets, no tow. It was in great shape. I ran out of here. I had to record the um, business update at 5.15 where if it I mentioned Russia. And uh, I ran out of here like a bat out of hell at 5.15, and uh, it was fine, thankfully. Good for you, man. See, you're always lucky. Not always. Uh, not always. Uh, believe me, I've had my share of, of tickets. Last Friday... I got a, a parking ticket, and it was I was parked in one spot, but they gave me two tickets. I'm going to try and fight that one. Well, it's another story, but yes. Well, you know, like they say, welcome to New York City, right? Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. You're lucky they didn't tow your car or uh, steal it, right? Take your tires. That's true. That's but true. They said in Staten Island, where you're from, they there was a couple that was mugged in their driveway. I saw the video. It looked horrible. It was terrible. Yeah. Midland Beach. And what do you think about uh, Eric Adams? you think he's actually going to pull it off and do something? Or well, I hope so. Look, I think, look I, I think he's done some things that I really love. He's done some other things that I really hate. Uh, but that's, I guess, the case with any mayor. When it comes to Eric Adams, um, I've been heartened by some of the appointments that he's made. It shows me that he's willing to govern in a non-ideological manner and find the best people for the job. The fact that he appointed two prominent Republicans, Jimmy Otto and Eric Ulrich, to such uh, high uh, places in his administration is very telling. I can tell you Bill de Blasio never would have appointed a Republican as chief of staff to the uh, first deputy mayor, never in a million years. And um, he appointed these three supposedly anti-gay pastors, Eric Salgado, Fernando Cabrera, and the name of the third fellow escapes me, over the objections of the LGBT community. The LGBT community had a big rally in front of City Hall denouncing Eric Adams for appointing these people. I could tell you de de Blasio never would have appointed anyone that would have gotten him a protest from the LGBT community. So uh, I like what he's doing in a lot of different respects. I like what he's doing when it comes to corrections on Rikers. I like what he's doing in terms of bringing back the uh, anti-crime unit. Uh, although he's calling it an anti-gun unit, okay? Um, He's doing some other things that I really like. Other things he does that just baffle me, right? Um, How I don't know, for instance, what how he could be so brazen as to think it would be okay to appoint his brother to a $260,000 a year job without first clearing that with the Conflict of Interest Board. Now, he's backed off with that. Now he was kind of shamed. He gave his brother a non-paying job. Um, He also, you know... Again, I don't know how he doesn't recognize the irony in that. He's making a big deal about how that basketball player for the Nets, Kyrie Irving, should be able to play home games without being vaccinated. He's saying, and he's right, look, all these visiting teams have players that are not vaccinated and their players get to play. Why doesn't Irving get to play? It's a good point. But he made that point the same week he fired thousands of city workers for not getting vaccinated. Now, I don't know about you, but given the nature of what we're seeing on the streets these days, I'm not prepared to fire one cop, let alone a whole bunch of them, because they don't want to get vaccinated. And look around, Mr. Mayor. COVID's over. 
I, again, that's not a PC thing to say. It's over. It's over. So um, he does things that just baffle me. But look, I knew that we were going to get a little bit of that, um, you know, from the get go. His appointment of Philip Banks as deputy mayor for public safety, that uh, causes me to uh, raise some eyebrows, right? And scratch my head a little bit. His appointment of Missoul um, as the police commissioner, I think, was a, has been effective. Even though crime is up, the guy's only been mayor for 50 days. I thought her speech at both, um, both police funerals was incredibly moving and exactly the kind of thing that we need to uh, be hearing about. So the thing I like most about Adams, aside from his appointments, is that um, he seems present. de Blasio was not present. He, you know, the, uh, a cop gets shot. Eric Adams gets there right away, not three hours late. There's an incident. There's a big, uh, you know, there's a, there's some sort of an incident in the city. He's there. He's also he looks to me like a very good cheerleader for the city in a tradition of a Giuliani or an Ed Koch. So, um, he, you know, again, a lot of people are bothered by Adams, you know, kind of being okay with corruption. I have to say, I'm not okay with corruption, especially corruption among public officials, but. It, I do like that Eric Adams is so willing to stick with his friends, even though so many of his friends seem to be convicted felons. Now, I live my life in the gray area. Some of my best friends are, are felons. So I kind of like that he's not willing to abandon his friends just because they happen to be criminals. But do I really want him appointing those people as deputy mayor or people that are unindicted co-conspirator who have... Uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars mysteriously appearing in their bank account? Uh, I don't know. Um, but to me, and, uh, you know, when he did the whole thing about uh, saying the press corps was too white to cover him effectively, he does stuff like that, and I just think, what planet are you on? What planet are you on? Forget about what city. What planet are you on? Then, uh, so, look, I treat Eric Adams the way I would treat any any politician that represents me which is I root for him to do well. I hope he does well. I have no shortage of ideas to offer him. And he's done a lot of things before he was mayor that I thought were really interesting. Um, But if he does something stupid, like blaming the white press corps for not covering him effectively, I'm going to absolutely say so. So we'll see. 800-848-9222-1-800-848-9222. Two two. Let me say hello to Eddie in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Um, I want to ask you: Is there a mechanism for states, uh, let's say all forty-nine states, to expel another state from the union? Um, well, n- n- no, I, I don't believe there is. Look, if there was a constitutional amendment, they could do with whatever they wanted. But no, uh, I don't think I don't think um, Congress could just vote or anybody could just vote and say, sorry, North Dakota, you're out, Tom. No. Um, very interesting. Another thing I want to ask you was about last week we were talking about uh, proportional representation. And my problem with it is, and I'm, this is what I don't understand how you support such a thing because there's no there's no uh constituencies then there's no people people don't have a representative that they elected i know in israel which you mentioned well, what, what do you mean they don't have a representative that they elected should they do you're voting for a party you're not voting for well again there's a, a lot specific. of different ways to do it uh the way in in new the way that we did it in new york city in the 30s 
was each borough uh, elected its own people. So all the representatives from Brooklyn, for instance, let's say there were six council members from Brooklyn, they represented the whole borough of Brooklyn. But in the uh, proposal that I spoke with the woman from uh, Fair Vote about the Fair Representation Act, which is proposed on the congressional level, that would just involve four um, larger congressional districts. So instead of a state like New York having uh, 21 congressional districts, maybe they'd have eight so that you still do have uh, congressional districts. They're just they're just larger. There's a lot of different ways to do it, including ways that still retain either um, districts, although they would be larger districts or uh, voting for a candidate rather than uh, rather than a party. There's there's what they call open list proportional representation systems. There's closed list Proportional representation systems. There's a lot of different ways uh, to do it. And again, it's funny. I was I was thinking about playing this before, and uh, I didn't pull the audio because I figured, right, who's going to care? But I was thinking um, there was an audio I came across of Noam Chomsky talking about concision, and he, you know he was talking about how on television it's very difficult to explain something that requires more than a an an eight-second explanation. And that's sort of the case with comparative voting systems, right? So uh, I'm, I'll, we'll spend some time on proportional representation when we have a little bit more than the few minutes that we have here. 800-848-9222, 1-800-848-WABC. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I wanted to write a letter to someone who was in the news that uh, went to prison. How do I uh, uh, find out where that person is and what his or her number is? Is it a, a federal federal prisoner or a state prisoner? Yeah, federal. Federal prisoner, you can, uh, on the Bureau of Prisons, type in that person's last name, and uh, it will tell you what prison they're at. And, um, I, I, again, if they're high profile, I would probably start, if it was me, by contacting their attorney and saying that you want to uh, send their client a... Uh, a um a letter and uh, usually even a high profile person will be happy to receive it you know prison's a pretty dull place they're happy to receive any kind of mail i'm sure and uh, could i ask you a couple of other things real quick uh, one the backlog of mail that was discovered yeah you? i had several from you uh, molly's going to screen through it on monday and we're going to go through it on tuesday okay and have you ever worked as a bartender uh, I have worked as a bartender for individual events. Uh, I've never worked steady as a bartender at a bar, but I've done a lot of uh, celebrity guest bartending. Or if friends of mine have a party, uh, oftentimes, or family have a party, I'll oftentimes be the person that ends up uh, bartending. But no, I've never been employed as a bartender but uh, I'll be honest, I always make a long list of careers that I could pursue if I'm ever fired from this job, and bartender is always high up on the list, honestly. 800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to uh, Ed in Westchester. Hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm making a living. There you go. There you go. Um, I wanted to know what you know about two uncles, Uncle Floyd and Uncle Tanoose. I don't know. Uh, I'm not familiar with Uncle Tanoose, uh, but um, Uncle Floyd I know quite well. He's been a guest on the show, and once in a while, he's probably listening right now, once in a while he even calls in 
on this show. Uh, I'm a big fan of Uncle Floyd. I am not familiar with Uncle Tanoose. Uh, I believe Uncle Tanoose was on the Danny Williams show ah. from many, many moons ago. But I, I thought Uncle Floyd was actually on AM 970 at one point. I'm, I'm trying to remember. No, he whether, never did a show. Uh, he he might have been a guest on either my show on 970 or on the Joe Piscopo show. But no, he was never employed by AM 970. That was one of many suggestions that I made to the management at 970 that was completely ignored, that they give Uncle Floyd a radio show or even an opportunity to fill in for somebody, and uh, it uh, didn't, uh, never ended up happening. Uh, Judy is on the east side. Hello, Judy. Uh, yes, sir. I'm wondering uh, two things. Is there a way to retrieve any of the Thrive Billions that uh, <clears throat> uh, doesn't seem to be around and putting it to good use? That's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a great question, Judy, and I'm going to try and answer it quickly just because we only have a minute left. Um, the answer is probably not because Thrive New York City, it's not like it's one agency. It was a billion and a half dollars spread across something like eight different agencies, and that money's already been spent. However, that doesn't stop some people from continuing to try to uh, investigate where that money went just a month ago. My friend, my congresswoman, Nicole Maliotakis, asked for a probe into exactly what you just described. So people are still asking for it. But uh, the answer is, look, as a political realist, probably not. It looks like that money is gone. And hopefully it serves as a cautionary tale for future administrations. All right. um, I guess we're about out of time. Matt, Molly and Alex, if Alex is included in this exercise, do you have a, a winner for who you think the best yes. question is? Who was it? The one who asked about the radio frequencies. Okay. And that was, uh, do we remember who that was? Uh, Molly knows who. Molly, who was that that asked about radio she's frequencies? The, she's she's on a call right now. But do that's you, who it was. Molly, do you remember who what that was that asked about the radio frequencies? What's going on? <laughs> All right. Okay. It's one of those days, folks. Uh, all right. I mean. So we don't know. Um, we don't know who that person was. Uh, we don't have his name, even though you know that's the, a, a key part of the job of selecting the person with the best question is to uh, is to find out you know exactly what their name is. Uh, if you are that person, or if you want to impersonate that person, call back and we'll give you a prize next hour. If you want to comment on Ukraine, now's the time. 800-848-WABC. This is the other time uh the other side of midnight. Keep asking questions. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. And uh, if uh, you want to offer your two cents on Ukraine, now is the time. 1-800-848-WABC. That is 1-800-848-9222. Look, clearly, we're following what's happening there. It is not a good situation. 
over there. Russian forces are have reached the outskirts of Ukraine's capital, Kiev, and uh, there are people that are dying. There are people that are losing their homes. Uh, this looks to be like a major escalation. And the thing with this is, like so many instances throughout American history, throughout world history, what you've seen here is a collective decision by the media, by the people that run things, to create a specific narrative. And we've seen this narrative many times before. Generally, the narrative goes something like, there's a madman who's a bad guy. And the bad guy is, in this case, Vladimir Putin. And he's bent on uh, world domination, or, or at least European domination. And we collectively have decided that this madman, and this has been the same madman syndrome throughout history, this madman is unstoppable, he's the bad guy, and we have to stand with the victims while at the same time seeking revenge against the bad guy. Well, look, when it comes to foreign policy, very rarely are things that simple. And I do agree that what Vladimir Putin did in going into Ukraine was a violation of international law, including a, an agreement that Russia itself signed in 1994. Uh, that being said, we would be naive if we did not recognize what America and the West had done in leading up to this point, leading up to this point. We're not free from blame here. We are absolutely not free from blame. And the thing that, I, there's two things that bother me. Um, one is our leaders and in covering this issue, they all say the same thing, right? They all have that same narrative Russia and Putin are the bad guys. We need to stand with Ukraine. We need to stop them. If you uh, listen to Marco Rubio, he's saying the same thing that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is saying. If you listen to Nancy Pelosi, she is saying the same things that Lindsey Graham is saying. There's no partisan divide about who is responsible for what's going on here now. Now, there are partisan nuances in how to how each party tries to benefit politically. The Republicans are pointing at Biden and saying, oh, this is happening because some version of Biden's not tough enough on Ukraine. The Democrats are uh, pointing to um, the Republicans and Donald Trump and saying, oh, it's because Donald Trump was too closey. Uh, excuse me, the uh, Democratic narrative is that Biden is not... Uh, the Republican narrative is that Biden's not tough enough on Russia. The Republicans, the accusation leveled against them by the Democrats is that Donald Trump was too cozy with Vladimir Putin and Russia. So, But in terms of the actual narrative, there's very little deviation in terms of who's responsible. And what really bothers me, and again, I, I always mention the same shows and the same media outlets – with the exception of Tucker Carlson, who has done some great journalism on this, regardless of what you think about Tucker. And it's funny, I praised Tucker's Russia coverage the other day, and they, I was criticized for uh, complimenting Tucker. Uh, well, we'll do a whole show in the future whether Tucker is the best or the worst. 
that's not really the scope of the discussion that I'm interested in having. Tucker is at least willing to question and poke holes in the conventional narrative of Russia, Putin, bad guy. We need to do anything possible to stop him. Um, Tucker has been great. Glenn Greenwald, in his writing and on his podcast, great. Katrina Vanden Heuvel from The Nation, great. Tulsi Gabbard, in her media appearances, great. And I have to tell you, in the last 24 hours, the tweet that I found most disturbing was from Michael McFall. Do you know who Michael McFall is? If you don't, you should. Because in my view, this man is dangerous. Ambassador Michael McFaul was the ambassador to Russia during the Obama administration. And he is one of the leading Russia hawks and has been for a long time. One of the leading voices saying we need to be tougher on Putin. We need to be tougher on Russia. He, of course, like all the Russia hawks, was a big Russiagate person, which we saw how well that worked out. So Ambassador Michael Fall. Um, has been critical of Democrat and Republican administrations for not being tough enough on Putin. And what he said yesterday, I found absolutely, it made me want to vomit, to be honest, that a former American public official would actually say something like this publicly. This is what he said. Please don't give Putin propagandists a platform on your media platforms. There is a time and place For hearing two sides of an issue, this tragic moment in European history is not one of them. Do not give false equivalency to voices of evil and voices of good. I read that over and over again, and it made me so angry. I couldn't even sleep yesterday morning when I read that because it is so insane, that tweet. Essentially what he's saying is... Anybody that questions the prevailing narrative in the media and in public policy circles doesn't deserve to be heard from in the media. Now, think of how crazy that is. Think of how insane that is. That on a serious foreign policy issue, namely, should the two biggest nuclear powers in the world head towards war with one another... Essentially, Ambassador McFall is saying you don't need to hear the side that says we want peace instead of war. Now, that's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. For starters, let's say Michael McFall is right, which which he's not, about uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia being the uh, the enemy, the be all and end all the worst. Let's say he's right. Then you want To showcase the other side. To show how wrong they are. If there's that much of a black and white, that much of a disparity between good and evil, between the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do, then you should have no hesitance about letting people see the wrong thing to do. Because seeing that will make it very clear to them. You know, we I have callers calling this show on a regular basis saying either the most crazy things or the most objectionable and hateful things. You know what I do with them? I put them on the air. Always. Always put them on the air because you need to hear how crazy and wrongheaded that these people are 
And I believe that when someone's making the case that, um, you know, it's um, gay Jews that have ruined Atlantic City, that you need to hear that, that there are people that believe something that crazy. What Michael McFaul is saying is so dangerous, and unfortunately, it's a narrative that has happened again and again throughout American history. You remember in the aftermath of 9-11, you know, George W. Bush gave this speech written by his neocon speechwriters, people like David Frum and his advisors, Carl Rove and Dick Cheney, uh, saying with the incredible oversimplification, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Now, it's such a bizarre oversimplification that you're if you're you, that you're saying if you're not doing what exactly the United States wants you to do in terms of Middle Eastern foreign policy, you're the same as a terrorist that would try to blow up the World Trade Center. I mean, that's crazy. And now, 20 years after September 11th, we realize how crazy a statement like that is. But at the time, everybody was just lining up to say, oh, yes, you're either with us or with the terrorists. You don't want to go to war in Iraq, a country that never attacked us, where there's no proof of chemical weapons, then you're with the terrorists. I mean, I mean, you, you look at it 20 years later, it's insane. And yet now we're in a similar moment. Now, when it comes to what happened in September 11th, there were forces within the government that were saying the same thing that Michael McFall is saying. Michael McFaul, um, you you know, after September 11th, the government asked the network news organizations. And remember, in 2001, the network news was all there was. It was the be all and end all. There was no Internet. There was no YouTube. There was the Internet, but there was no YouTube. There was no um, there was not a lot of other ways to get information quickly other than the network news. And then the government actually asked the leading news organizations in this country Please don't air any interviews with Osama bin Laden uh, because we think that he could be giving a secret code to a, a sleeper cell in the United States. Now, I mean, it's an absurd thing to say. And there are so many different safeguards that can be taken to make sure that happens. But wouldn't you know it? Every single one of those media organizations listened to what the government said. And they didn't air any interviews with with Osama bin Laden, including old interviews from years ago. So in other countries, there were media outlets like Al Jazeera and other media outlets, foreign media outlets, that did interview Osama bin Laden. And he was very clear about why he was doing what he was doing. And again, uh, what Osama bin Laden did was incredibly objectionable. But it helped provide some context about how American foreign policy led to this decision. He talked about uh, American troops in the Holy Land, in Saudi Arabia, the occupation of Saudi Arabia and having American troops there. He talked about the sanctions that America instituted on on Iraq that might have killed as many as half a million Iraqis, innocent Iraqis, including women and children. He talked about America's support of, of Israel. He talked about everything that he believed gave al-Qaeda a legitimate beef in terms of attacking innocent people in the United States. Now, of course, I think he's wrong, but I also think it's incredibly helpful to know why your enemy is attacking you. And yet we were denied that opportunity in the days after September 11th. Instead, we were told 
oh, they hate us because of our freedom. Now, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely not the case. And now people like Michael McFall are trying to do the same thing. And uh, I'm really just so glad that former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is out there being so vocal. And what she said yesterday, I find really worth looking at and worth repeating. And those of you that have questions or comments on this, you're welcome to uh, comment. And then we'll have Clint Ehrlich on at 3.30. We'll talk about this. But Tulsi Gabbard said yesterday... This war and suffering could have easily been avoided if the Biden administration and NATO had simply acknowledged Russia's legitimate security concerns regarding Ukraine's becoming a member of NATO, which would mean U.S. and NATO forces right on Russia's border. And then uh, 12 hours ago, she tweeted, Warmongers have got what they wanted. Firmly established new Cold War, guaranteed trillions for the power elite, including the military industrial security complex and the mainstream media. In my view, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with hearing that perspective on radio and on TV. On in this program, you will hear that perspective. And I am so sick of anybody that offers the kind of perspective that Tulsi Gabbard does or that uh, Pat Buchanan does or that uh, Tucker Carlson does or Glenn Greenwald does. You immediately get labeled as a Russian propagandist and a stooge for the Kremlin. If you're lucky. If you're not lucky, then and this is really the domain of very ignorant people, the people that want peace, the people that want detente. They will refer to you as Neville Chamberlain. Uh, you could count the number of times that Chamberlain was referenced on Twitter and on uh, you know other media outlets yesterday because the people that are so naive that um, that that's their their go to they only have one historical reference to make. But as it stands now, U.S. trained soldiers in a U.S. funded military are currently waging a large-scale war with U.S.-made missiles, sniper rifles, and grenade launchers against the country with the world's largest nuclear arsenal. Now, you have to think that everything that we've been doing on this front, meaning the Ukraine-Russia front over the course of the last 30 years, especially the course of the last eight years, that has led us to this point is wrong. I certainly do. Uh, I think much of it is wrong. Anyway, 800-848-9222. I want to play one piece of audio before we... uh, Oh, by the way, Michael McFall was on MSNBC yesterday reiterating the same kind of crazy things that he was saying. In my perspective, they're crazy. The same sort of things that he was saying in his tweet. This was uh, was, uh, Ambassador McFall on MSNBC yesterday. I think this will be Putin's Afghanistan moment, but it'll come at a terrible price and a terrible cost to the Ukrainian people. And I I do not, there's no rationality here. He is, 
is motivated by some crazy ideas. I want to really emphasize that. I listened to his speech on Monday. I listened to his speech last night. He's talking about denazification. There are no Nazis in Ukraine. The leader of Ukraine is not a Nazi. He's a democratically elected leader. He's Jewish. He is not a Nazi. And for for just I'm sorry, I'm so emotional, but we've got to get over the fact that we're going to deal with this guy in some realpolitik cost benefit analysis. We've got to treat him as an irrational, evil leader who is unjustly and grossly attacked a free and democratic Ukraine. By the way, I will point out that uh, Russia has some legitimate reasons to be concerned about an invasion coming from Ukraine. You'll recall that Germany, including once under the Nazis, attacked Russia from Ukraine. And you'll recall, look, we we spoke about this with uh, um, Russell Bentley, who's in Donetsk. We've seen multiple reports of neo-Nazis fighting against the Russian-backed separatists. And um, if memory serves, look, again, I don't I don't hold anybody responsible for the foreign policy decisions of their fathers or their grandfathers. But if memory serves, it was Ukraine in World War Two that sided with the Nazis. And it was Russia that lost more people than any other country in the world, Soviet Union at the time, fighting against the Nazis. So. When Vladimir Putin talks about denazification, is part of it just an inv- a a, um, a rationale for invasion? Sure, maybe, maybe. But I, I don't think you should be as dismissive as Assemblyman uh, Assemblyman Ambassador McFall is there. Uh, let me take you back in time to six years ago, when uh, John Mearsheimer, who's a professor of political science at the University of Chicago made some very bold predictions on Ukraine based on what the United States policy was with respect to Ukraine and Russia at that time. This is from six years ago, and I want you to listen carefully to this. And I want you to tell me if you think this has come to fruition or not, this prediction. This is Professor John Mearsheimer from six years ago. But I actually think that what's going on here is that the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path. And the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And I believe that the policy that I'm advocating, which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side, is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians, to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. Time is on our side. And, of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. Well, as I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would make much more sense for us to, neutral, to, to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest to bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so. And most importantly, it would be in Ukraine's interest to put an end to the crisis. Thank you. Now, I think if you look at what Mearsheimer said there, we he's right. The West 
as he said, the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path, and the end result is Ukraine is going to get wrecked. Now, what if they would have taken the kind of policy position that he advocated and which Colonel McGregor has advocated on this show and Colonel Daniel Davis, who we may have on this show on Monday? What if they were to be neutral? The Switzerland of Eastern Europe, instead of allowing the United States to egg them on into a fight with Russia, which the United States never had any intention of backing them up in. Um. I think for the people on my side of the aisle, which is the people that want peace, the people that want detente, to be demonized by people like Ambassador McFall as Kremlin stooges or Russian propagandists, in my view, they never tried our way. All they did was continue along this path of aggression with Russia. So just like in on the eve of September 11th, the people responsible for September 11th were the terrorists. It was Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and the terrorists that flew the planes into the buildings. And just like, uh, just, just then as now, now as then, Putin is ultimately responsible for invading a sovereign country. But I think we need to look at what led to September 11th and the very real problems with blowback. And I think we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and look at the policies that we've engaged in over the last 30 years and the last eight years specifically that might have led Russia to this point. Um, If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. I'm sorry to go on such a rant. I'll let you comment as you see fit. In a moment. This is the other side of midnight. We have uh, denunciations coming up at 3 o'clock. We have Clint Ehrlich on this subject coming up at 3.30. And we have some other fun things, too. It's not going to be all war and blood and guts. So we'll give you an opportunity to comment next, and then we'll move on to some more fun things. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Sons of Swing. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Talk a little bit about the Ukraine situation. We're going to move on to some other issues as uh, as well. But I uh, would love to hear your perspective. 800-848-WABC. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, it's going to take me a minute to say that because I have two separate things, Frank. Uh, first of all, uh, originally we complained about weapons of mass destruction all the way uh, in Iraq and went all the way there, Frank. 
Now, apparently, we've been funneling weapons, or someone's been funneling weapons from the West to the Ukraine, which was supposed to have cleaned themselves up of the nukes. Some of these could have been nukes or could be nukes. So, you know, that's right on the border of Russia, all right? So that's one thing. The second thing nobody's talking about is the nuclear reactors in the Ukraine. There's 15 nuclear reactors. That's where we had Chernobyl. Suppose one of them gets hit, Frank. Yeah, well, that would be terrible. Uh, now, the Russians, I understand, are in um, are in control of the uh, of the nuclear plant at Chernobyl. It is Ukraine, not the Ukraine, and uh, it is the United States that has been giving these weapons to the Ukrainians because I mean that's a, a policy decision that Congress and multiple presidents have made. So uh, we know that it's the United States that's responsible for that. 800-848-9222. Stan is in New Jersey. Hello, Stan. Stan? Stan? All right, Stan's got other priorities, unless we got his name wrong. I have a feeling we got his name wrong. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. Um, One particular example of what you were talking about that made me sick to my stomach today um, just because a, I won't even mention names because people get all excited. Uh, just because somebody was referenced as giving respect to uh, Putin. Respect doesn't mean I love you, I agree with you. It just means respect. You're a leader of a country. You're, you're in a position of a country. This particular former press deputy, press secretary of a former administration, made a whole scenario of referring to this person who complimented him and Putin as two uh, snorting pigs rubbing snouts. Now, again, I don't know who who that is, but there's a finite number of people that that could be. But, um, I mean, think of how is that helpful to anybody, that kind of commentary? Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's very funny. Look, I get the fact that a lot of folks uh, make the case that Vladimir Putin's a dictator, and thanks for the call, Pamela. There's a lot of dictators that the United States deals with. Um, You think the United States didn't deal with with, uh, Mubarak in Egypt or Anwar Sadat in Egypt? I mean, it's so silly. It's just that kind of juvenile name-calling – I find not conducive to anything helpful or anything productive. 800-848-WABC. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Hello, Frank. Frank, you are absolutely right. If you try to speak out, first of all, I'm a Vietnam veteran against the war. Okay. I remember, remember the Gulf of Tonkin that dragged us into the Vietnam, a total lie. Okay. But, you know, all these people who say, as a matter of fact, I'm banned from certain progressive radio stations, you can't even talk about this subject. You can't even broach it on the most uh, supposedly uh, progressive radio station that goes against uh, Dan uh, Bag of Donuts. And, uh, but you can't, I'm banned, okay, because I'm speaking to you like, like, like we're speaking right now against this war. But here's the thing. You know, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If, you're, if you think our policy is right, you take your son or daughter to the recruiting station right now or your nephew, if you don't have a son or daughter, and you take him down to the recruiting station because our military is hurting for soldiers. There's a $60,000 bonus if you sign up right now for the military. 
uh, infantry, armor, artillery. Okay, so all these here flag waving uh, patriots, Republican or Democrat, take your child, take your son or daughter to the recruiting station now because the military needs them. Plain and simple. Put your money where your mouth is. I have a son who's in uniform right now. Well, uh, thank you for your service and your son for his. 800-848-WABC. Joe is on Staten Island. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. It's Joseph Cullen. Um, I want to talk to you about something. Um, you were talking about the oil prices. Um, and I do feel this issue in Ukraine is just going to drive up the prices of oil because of the fact that, you know, the uh, the, the manufacturing is going to get stifled in that region of the world. But really, in all reality, we shouldn't be dependent on, the, on those countries for oil. When President Trump was in office, we were energy independent. And I feel that the inflation that's taking place in this country is because of the fact that this president stopped our energy independence with the Keystone XL pipeline, among other factors. And he's made us dependent on these other countries like Russia uh, and the Middle East. It's ridiculous. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm calling in and why I feel this Ukraine issue will just continue to increase the oil prices. In fact, I believe it went past $100 at some point today, but then it went down to $95 at closing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I think I see the same number, same number as you see, Frank. Yeah, well, thank you, Joe. Uh, good points all. Look, I'm all for uh, ramping up uh, domestic oil production, given what we're uh, ha- seeing here. But I'll be honest, a lot of what we're seeing here, and the a lot of the fracking companies – they enjoy these high prices. Here's the dirty little secret, you know. And uh, President Biden is now begging his favorite former pension bag, Big Oil, to pump more oil. And he's begging the fracking companies to frack more. And he's begging Saudi Arabia to pump more. So I agree with you. Uh, I think uh, American energy independence, and it shouldn't just be oil, but should include, you know, an all of the above approach, is so important, not just from an economic perspective, but from a national security perspective as well. Tyrone is in the Bronx. Hello, Tyrone. Uh, good morning. I think you pretty much laid the case. Um, but it's a plague on all their houses. The greed, the anger, the stupidity plays into all of it. I wanted to ask you a question. When did we and why did we stop using the, the name Russian communist and Chinese communist? Because I think that's where we began to let our guard down. And they began to make all our medicines in China. And they began to uh, send all our secret uh, programs into space by Russia by letting down that title communist. Well, in the, ca- in the case of um, China, I think you're certainly right. I think part of the reason is because we're so dependent on China, not only economically, but in terms of, as you point out, medicine, in terms of clothing, in terms of almost every aspect of American life, we're we're joined at the hip with China. And I think the multinational corporations that are benefiting from the that arrangement, they know that American consumers won't be so um, quick to reach for that $5 shirt if they know it's made by the communist Chinese and not just the plain old regular Chinese. As far as why we don't use the term Russian communist, uh, it's because Russia is not communist anymore. There is a communist party that is in Russia, but they're not in the leadership of uh, Russia at the moment. 
In fact, the Communist Party in Russia is one of Putin's greatest political adversaries. 800-848-WABC. Vic is in Hudson. Where is Hudson? Hudson, New Jersey? Hudson County? Yeah, Hudson County, right across the river from New York City. Very good. Yes, the sixth borough, home of uh, Bayonne. Yeah, Bayonne, Union City, Jersey City. Great place, great place. Love Hudson uh, County. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, they ha- we also have West New York, which is, of course, in, it's not in New York. It's That's in true, yes. Are there any other municipalities in Hudson County that you'd like to tell well, us about? Well, of course, you know, you have Gutenberg, which is uh, six uh, blocks long and two blocks wide. If you blink, you miss it. Mm. Gutenberg. Really? Okay. All right. Well, so we got... Bayonne, we have West New York, we have West Guttenberg, uh, we have uh, Union. I Union noticed City, not Union, Union City. Union City, excuse Union me. Union is okay. somewhere else. It's in South Jersey. All right. Well, how, how about we, yeah, you, we got Jersey City, right? Yeah, we got Jersey City. We got North Bergen, mm-hmm. which is not it, which is which is coincidentally not in North of Bergen, exactly South of Bergen, but that's it's very in interesting. North Bergen. That's very interesting. Um, and we have West East New Newark, which is not actually east of Newark, but it, coincidentally, it's west of Newark. Right. We got Melville. Uh, I don't think there is a Melville in Hudson County. Uh, no, what is it? The, the one in, uh, right next to Jersey. Uh, sorry, Vic. Too sloppy, Vic. Too sloppy. You want to try and fool me into thinking you're from Hudson County? You, that guy has never even been to Hudson County. I had a feeling about that guy. I knew we were going to snuff him out pretending to be from Hudson County and then trying to pass Melville off as being in Hudson County. Please, please give me a break. Uh, the sixth borough. Um, and isn't it Belleville in, in New Jersey? Not Melville? Isn't Melville in, uh, first of all, if it's Belleville, Belleville's in Essex County. Um, if there is a Melville, I don't think it's in Hudson County. Uh, I've exposed you, Vic, for the fraud you are. Tommy's in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, I think you. May, I think you may have misspoke earlier about uh, uh, no no gas in Iraq. No gas you know, in I Iraq. Served, I, you know, I, I served sixteen years in the army, two tours in Iraq. I want people to know that although there was no nukes found in Iraq, there was enough sarin gas to kill over hundred thousand people or more. They said. And to me, that's a weapon of mass destruction in itself. And I know yeah. people dismiss. Okay. No, go ahead, please. So, and I know a lot of people are dismissing the war in Iraq. You know, usually over their politics or what have you. But um, you know, I, I, I don't know much about. I don't want to get into that. But I got my own thoughts on that. But not 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 now. Um, I just want you to know. Keep in mind, they they put bombs on the side of the road and they kill soldiers, civilians, and they and you know. Al-Qaeda was a group of bad guys. You know, they did a lot oh, of bad 100%. Absolutely. They're terrorists. You know, especially to women, you know. And, uh, again, I just want to say that I am, I am a proud veteran, and, I'm, um, and, and I would do anything today to do my duty in Iraq. And I would go today to a Ukraine. They're not necessary to Ukraine. I'm not into the, to the war. I don't want war. But uh, I just really wanted people to know that there was gas in Iraq, and, you know. It was important for me to let you know Well, that. yeah, thank you, Tommy. Yes, uh, there was sarin gas uh, found in Iraq. It was not clear that um, that was the type of chemical weapon that the Bush administration was leading the world to believe Saddam Hussein was in possession of and was um, it, it was in imminent use of. So um, 
Look, there w- so I, I, again, I'm not going to relitigate a war from 20 years ago, but um, a lot of that, of those chemical weapons, the mustard gas, the sarin, I think uh, that that was that that was probably in use years before, even pri- manufactured prior to 1991 and the first Gulf War. I don't think that it was as if Saddam Hussein was poised to use it on anybody, his own people, the United States, or anyone else. Otherwise, I think you would have seen him use it, uh, rather than simply sit there and be deposed. All right. Um, we'll talk more about Ukraine at uh, 3.30 when Clint Ehrlich is here. Meantime, have you are you paying attention to what is going on in the world of baseball? We are now seeing, uh, now I'm a baseball fan, but we are seeing a real danger that opening day is in jeopardy. Yesterday, Major League Baseball vowed to cancel regular season games if a deal is not reached by Monday. So they said that if the owners and players union can't agree to a new collective agreement by Monday, collective bargaining agreement by Monday, they will begin to cancel regular season games. The players won't be paid for those games. And um, that would be a real shame if they had to delay opening day. It, it's, I, you know, these guys, the players make millions of dollars. The owners make billions of dollars. These guys can't come to an agreement. That allows the baseball fans that have been through so much to be able to enjoy some baseball when the spring starts. And come on. They, they got to figure this out. Got to figure this out. Um, to, I mean, to postpone opening day is a real shame for the fans. Although I will say, you know, our owner, John Katsimatidis, is the new owner of this uh, independent league team. The uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks, maybe if opening day is postponed, baseball fans like me will be so eager for baseball that that will be the best thing for the independent league teams. Now, still, I'm hoping this doesn't happen, but um, it really it certainly makes you think. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on that. That's uh, 800 848 Nine two two two. I got to mention this story before we move on here. Are you familiar with the concept of civil asset forfeiture? Uh, now we all know criminal forfeiture, right? I've spent a lot of time over the years on the radio talking about uh, civil asset forfeiture, um, and it's something that when I explain it to people, people one they very rarely are familiar with it. And number two, they're always, they always get angry that the government does this. So criminal forfeiture, okay. You commit a bunch of crimes. You go and rob a bank. You get caught. Uh, the government says not only are you going to prison, but we're taking all that money. Good, good. You should be able to take the money from somebody's crimes. Absolutely. Civil asset forfeiture is a totally different ballgame. Civil asset forfeiture involves the government seizing money from citizens or property without a conviction, without a conviction. Headline, uh, I'm going to link to this on my Facebook page because I hope you read the story in its entirety. 
Uh, it drives me crazy. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's uh, Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. Uh, headline, the FBI seized almost $1 million from this family and never charged them with a crime. This is from Reason Magazine, which is a uh, sort of a libertarian publication. And it tells the story of Carl Nelson and his wife, Amy. And it describes how their pre-pandemic lives look a lot different than the ones that they're living right now. They're the obvious ways, and then there's not so obvious ways. Like the fact that they sold their house and their car, liquidated their retirement funds, and moved their family of six from a comfortable West Seattle home to Amy's sister basement, sister's basement after the FBI seized almost a million dollars from them in May of 2020. Quote, We went from living a life where we were both working full-time to provide for our four daughters to really figuring out how we were going to be able to make it month to month. It's completely changed my belief in fairness. So the FBI took funds from nearly every corner of this couple's world, including the savings that Amy racked up from her decade as a practicing attorney and her later efforts as the head of something called The Riveter, the co-working startup she founded. But the FBI never even suspected this woman of committing any crime. It was Carl, her husband, that they were investigating. A probe, by the way, that has not resulted in a single charge against him almost two years later. In April of 2020, agents showed up at this family's home and informed them that Carl, a former real estate transaction manager for Amazon, was under investigation for allegedly depriving Amazon of his honest services. In plain terms, they accused him of showing favor to certain developers and securing them deals in exchange for illegal kickbacks. Quote, this is from Reason, that never happened and is exactly why I fought as long and as hard as I have. It's that simple. That's from Carl. Whether or not the FBI has come to that conclusion, we don't know. It's a years-long investigation into Carl's alleged fraud has not yielded an indictment. Yet, an indictment or a formal charge was not necessary for the federal government to wreck this family's lives, costing them their home, their community, their jobs, their daughter's place in their, in their school and their security for the future. What's even more mystifying, the FBI has, in some sense, basically conceded that it didn't need to do any of the stuff that they've done here to complete their investigation or to hamstring any supposed criminal operation run by Carl. Last week, the government agreed to a settlement of the original approximately $892,000 that it seized. It's going to return $525,000 while Amy and Carl forfeit about $109,000. The remaining sum has been depleted by court fees. As Amy said, it's hard. Um, Not much has changed for us. 
She notes that Carl is still a defendant in a massive federal lawsuit against Amazon, and they accepted the deal so that they'd have money for attorney's fees. She adds that it feels like the beginning of some justice. In their case, justice looks like losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, they're not alone. There was a story of an Indiana man whose car was seized, a Kentucky man whose car was seized, a Massachusetts woman whose car was seized, and the Louisiana man whose life savings were seized, the Texas man whose life savings were seized, and all sorts of Californians, and we talked about the story a year ago, whose money and random personal possessions were seized. Sometimes the money's returned, often only usually when a defendant manages to lawyer up for a civil suit. This should not happen in America. And unfortunately, civil asset forfeiture is quite common. Um, The fact that the government can do this and ruin people's lives and steal people's money without convicting them of a crime, without even charging them with a crime, is something that every citizen should be up in arms about. I don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Conservative, Liberal, whatever. Um, This is something that needs to end. I can't understand how there's not some uh, politician that's made this their cause. Where are the congressional hearings on this issue? The fact that the government can do this and ruin people's lives without anyone being convicted of a crime, without anyone even beyond, without even being charged with a crime, is so incredibly objectionable to me. Now, uh, there's a fella named Albin. That's his last name is uh, Dan Albin. He's an attorney for the Institute for Justice, which is a, a law firm that litigates some of these cases. He calls civil asset forfeiture a high pressure tactic, one of the many that the government uses to paralyze defendants and strip them of any ability to stick up for themselves. Because and that's definitely what happened with the Nelsons. As Amy knows firsthand, if you can't afford to defend yourself, let alone feed yourself, it becomes complicated. And you know what? It's also pretty lucrative for for the government. State, local, and federal governments have seized $68.8 billion through civil forfeiture over the last 20 years. Think of that. Government. It's not enough that the government taxes you. They need to steal your money and steal your property without even convicting you of a crime. In my view, that is totally shameful. You want to read the whole article, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. It's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. You want to comment on anything we're, we're talking about, give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 W-A-B-C.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. This is Fitz and the Tantrums you're listening to. Uh, one of my favorites. Excellent uh, selection by Matt Blaze. If you ever want to see the music that we play, you could just log on to Facebook. Uh, go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. We post the bumper music that we play each and every day on there. Uh, now it's a party that Fitz and the Tantrums are playing. Also, it's a party because it's Friday. We, uh, we always get pizza on uh, on Friday last week, uh, we learned that Matt Blaze has been occasionally deprived of the pizza pie opportunities or the uh, pie opportunities for short. Did you uh, get to avail yourself of any of the pizza today, Matt? Yeah, but I had to hide it. From whom? I had to hide the pizza from the savages that always raid the pizza boxes. So I hid it. We got three pies. Yeah. I mean, uh, you mean that. It didn't look like there were lines of people lining up to eat that pizza. But somehow, it disappears. You know what was um, what was really good? I saw in the refrigerator, they had, from the Black History Month event yesterday, they had these delicious deviled eggs. I don't know who made those, but I... It I, looks like the catacombs, though, with all of like the, the eggs stacked on top of each other it, like, well, there's a few in the less, fridge. There's, like, there's a few less stacked now because I had <laughs> quite a few. Those were Oh, delicious. I'm glad you're eating them because I feel like the office fridge is where good food goes to that's die. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but no, that is deviled eggs. Eggs in general are uh, some of my favorite foods, and a uh, deviled egg specifically is... Uh, oh. It's it's just terrific. Really uh, enjoyed it. Hey, uh, I think uh, one listener sent me an email that if you go to the the Wikipedia page for Doctor Sky, uh, Steve Cates, uh, Steve Cates is his real name. We, his nickname is uh, Doctor Sky. That it mentions me um, towards the towards the end of that. Right? Uh, it's actually there's only a draft article for him. And it says, and I had no idea, and I, th- I appreciate this listener sending this to me. It says, Cates is also a regular contributor, is a regular guest on the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Then it says, uh, Cates is also a regular contributor to The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on WABC uh, AM. Now, there are a large number of Wikipedia articles that mention me. I think I'm mentioned in Joe Piscopo's Wikipedia page. I think I'm mentioned in Juliet Huddy's Wikipedia page. I think I'm mentioned in uh, the Get Me Roger Stone Wikipedia page. Anyway, there's a bunch. And yet, um, you'd think that once they, uh, you know, keep mentioning me in Wikipedia pages, that eventually that they somebody would create a Wikipedia article for me. Years ago, someone did. And um, I think maybe I'm at fault here. And this is going back. 15, 16 years, because the article was um, pretty inaccurate, honestly. And I I told the Wikipedia folks, you know, this is not accurate. And I pointed out, you know, this is incorrect, this is incorrect. And I, maybe they just took it down, or maybe there wasn't proper sourcing. But uh, And then I've mentioned this to a few people, because a lot of people say, oh, if you don't have a Wikipedia page, it's like you don't even exist on the Internet. I don't know how I could be mentioned in all these Wikipedia pages, and yet I don't have my own. I don't know how you begin a Wikipedia page. And I don't really care to find out. I'm sure I could find out. But one, I don't really want to do the work. But two, I don't really want to um, – uh, it's it's a little egotistical to, uh, you know, to v- write your own Wikipedia page. 
I mean, maybe that's the only way that would become accurate. But if anybody wants to take on that project out there of creating a Wikipedia page for me, please be my guest. Also, you know what's interesting? My wife and I, and I don't think we realized this until this week, we're both paying for Amazon Prime. We both have two separate Amazon Prime accounts. So now we're trying to figure out which one of us is going to give up our Amazon Prime accounts. That's led to some interesting discussions. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Uh, In the words of the great Bob Barker, make sure you help control the pet population and get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Why do they have the coffee machine all the way at the other end of the hallway? I feel like every day I, 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 I'm doing this 70-yard dash I'll go get to it. the coffee machine. Thank you. You'd think they'd have another one. Right. That's like close. Have one for the office people and then yeah. have one for the people that work on this side of the floor. Just right? the coffee machine. Right. I mean, it's... um. You know, because, it, you know, you only have 77 seconds. So you have to sprint there. And I've gotten pretty good at this, but not great. You have to sprint there, put the K-cup in, press the button. The water's not always heated. So you have to sometimes wait for the water to heat. And then you're watching the 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 coffee drip out of the coffee machine like an hourglass, like, a, like the sands of time slowly dripping. And then I hear the music and I run back. And I left the coffee there. But... um there are worse problems. Um, all right. Clint Ehrlich will join me in a half hour to discuss this Ukraine situation. Gary Korb will join me at 430 to talk cigars. A few of you have already sent me some interesting um, questions for him regarding cigars. So if you have questions, email me. Uh, Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com and we will... Uh, try and take your questions on that subject. Want to give a shout out to Ashley Vargas, who's now following me on Facebook. Uh, she, he or she, look, uh, he works at Major League Baseball and studied at Harvard. So those are the kind of people that uh, that listen to this show. People that uh, studied at Harvard. So if you're listening to this show, you're in a very elite group. Also now following me on wow. Facebook is Janice Lynch who, from what I see on, in the Facebook community, works at SAG-AFTRA. You know, Janice Lynch, I didn't know that you worked at SAG-AFTRA. I am in SAG-AFTRA, and really? I thought I was going to get some free DVDs as, and so I can cast an informed vote on the SAG Awards. Matt Blaze, are you in SAG-AFTRA? You're not. So you don't, you don't get the... I know Deb Valentine's in. i got to talk to her. Um about how I go about getting some of these these screeners. Now, Molly, um, did you make those brownies? I did. Did you have one? I just had one. Yeah, it was not bad. So they're not they're not like pot brownies or anything. Uh, not no no no. I mean, because uh, I asked before the show, 
um, how you were feeling because you were out uh, earlier in the week and um, you said, oh, you're feeling okay. You have you have you've learned to deal and you have brownies. And I I thought the implication was it was some sort of medicated brownie. But then you the brownies were out there for everybody. And I figured maybe they're they're not medicated brownies. No, they're they're not. They're largely from a box with some some special ingredients. None of them are uh, loud. Are you sure they're not pop brownies? Hey, they're did, popcorn brownies. They did, have caramel corn on them. Did that guy whose name you couldn't remember who had the question that you picked as the winner? No, he hasn't called back. I guess he doesn't want a hat. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe maybe because I'm too self-absorbed to remember his name. I, what, but what, what about next week writing down the names of the people so that, you know, when you select their question, you can you can make that pick? Uh, maybe I would have made that decision if I hadn't been a dabbling in the brownies yeah well see uh, hopefully these are not medicated brownies because i need to sound coherent for at least two more hours and um and then we have our meeting uh today uh, which it uh, was nice last week we had an early meeting i don't know if that's going to happen this week or do we know what do we know what the story is with me the meeting this week is it going to be one of those early meetings or a not so early meeting i don't think it's going to be an early meeting yeah neither do i <laughs> neither do i can't uh can't get uh, lucky two weeks in a row no way all right if these are medicated brownies that I just sampled, then that would, of course, be a cause for Molly to appear on the list of people that are being. Can we add that? <laughs> Please. The Other Side of Thank Midnight you. presents Denunciation. I'm sorry, folks. These are the best folks we can afford. I apologize now. I want to denounce the following individuals or entities. Uh, I mean, look, not everyone wants to show up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I understand that. All right. Uh, The following people need to be denounced. There is a person who is continuing to dump garbage in front of my house. He did it again this week. And just so there was no confusion about whether he's dumping garbage on my house or my neighbor, Deborah, he chose to instead dump it on the other side of my house. So that I wouldn't be confusing it with um, the person on the other side. So if you're dumping garbage in front of my house, please stop gu- dumping garbage in front of my house. And additionally, I would just ask if you just stop coming to my house. That would be just the cherry on top, as it were. Until then, unfortunately, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Maurice Bates. Maurice Bates is a really disturbed person. He is a Florida man, big surprise. A Florida man who left a dog in an apartment complex dumpster. Thankfully, this enemy of polite society, this savage, has been arrested. He was caught on surveillance video pulling a dog out of the back of a Mercedes SUV and leaving this dog in the dumpster. Of an apartment complex. This fellow is 58 years old and facing a felony charge of animal cruelty. When asked if he'd be willing to speak about the allegations by the media, he said no. The arrest report states that uh, this gentleman, Maurice Bates' wife, told the police that she and her husband received a sickly dog from a relative and that her husband told her he took the dog to the pound. 
But investigators said Bates was captured on surveillance video throwing the dog into a garbage dumpster inside this apartment complex 24 miles from his home. Now, this is the part that I just, I have such a problem reading. Children passed, passing by this dumpster later heard the dog inside the dumpster and alerted their parents who jumped in and saved the animal. So people who work at the complex named her Little Mama and found her a new home. So um, at least some people uh, are looking out for dogs. And uh, this is clearly a dog that did not deserve what she got. I hope they throw the book at this guy. And uh, it's just amazing to me the wide disparity of people that exist in this world. You have somebody like Maurice Bates that would throw a living, breathing animal into a dumpster. He didn't even want to take it to a animal hospital to be put to sleep humanely. Just threw it away in a dumpster. Like yesterday's garbage. And yet you have people, both children and parents, that are willing to jump in and save this uh, this dog they don't know. Uh, Maurice Bates, not only do I denounce you, but you make me sick. Kills me to do it. But I must denounce the LAPD. You know, the LAPD's done some great things over the years. Bill Bratton and his leadership of the department was top-notch. My brother-in-law, David, is a member of the LAPD. And yet, what they did to Bethany Farber is, in my view, absolutely beyond the pale. This is a woman who was imprisoned for nearly two weeks before officers determined that they had the wrong suspect. They mistook Bethany K. Farber for a woman with the same name who was wanted in Texas. She was traveling to Mexico in April of 2021 when TSA agents at uh, LAX detained her, eventually informing her that there was a warrant for her arrest in Texas. The esthetician was arrested and booked into jail where she was held for 13 days without bail. Now, you might say, okay, that could happen, but um, she asked them repeatedly to double-check, and they completely blew her off. They said, nope, Bethany Farber, we have you. So Bethany Farber has now filed this federal civil rights lawsuit accusing the city, the airport police, and the LAPD of violating her civil rights and falsely arresting and imprisoning her. Um, she also alleged that officials kept her in custody for three days after learning they had the wrong person in custody. I mean, sounds like she's got a pretty strong case to me. I want to denounce Hawaii, uh, a state that I'm going to be visiting soon. It's going to be the first state that I'm visiting that is not part of the continental United States. In a new study of the best states to drive in conducted by WalletHub, Hawaii comes in dead last. There were a variety of criteria, including highest car theft rate and pleasant driving, 
and uh, overall driving experience. And Hawaii has the worst overall driving experience when you take into account all these factors in the entire country. I want to denounce air pollution. Um, You know, there was some good news on the subject of exercise this week. You know, the more we learn about exercise, the more you learn about how healthy it is for you and how great it is for you, not just physically, but uh, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. I read a book uh, by Dr. Norman Doidge, and it goes into these stories about how um, it's actually helped uh, heal people's brains that have been suffered with strokes and all sorts of exercise is incredible. But according to this uh, new study, two new large scale studies specifically, air pollution can actually negate the benefits of the of exercise. So people who worked out even moderately, even in moderately polluted air, did not show the kinds of brain improvements tied to a lower risk of dementia. So understand what I'm saying. If you exercise even a little bit, it's less likely that you're going to suffer from dementia. However, if you exercise in moderately polluted air, you don't enjoy any of those benefits. These are two real studies, which included thousands of British, tens of thousands, excuse me, British men and women. And it found that most of the time, people who ran and rode vigorously had larger brain volumes and lower risk of dementia, the exception being if they did it in a polluted area. I want to denounce um, somebody that goes by the name Hayo, H-A-O, and a, a young woman named Nicole Hutchinson. This young woman, I hate to denounce someone so stupid, but I have to. This young woman said that she lost $390,000 belonging to herself and her father after she fell for an online crypto dating scam. This this young woman lost her mom, and she and her father inherited her mother's house. They sold the house and split the proceeds. So the $280,000 that she inherited was supposed to go towards helping her family and building a life. So as a a way to make new friends before moving to California, she began to use the online dating website Hinge. She said she met a man who called himself Hayo, H-A-O. They became friends. She said she felt a strong connection with him when he told her he came from the same town in China where this young woman was adopted. He was into investing and cryptocurrency and suggested that she, too, could invest. And she said, well, I've never invested in my life. I don't know anything about cryptocurrency either. So, by the way, can I pause the story here? It's never a good idea to invest in something you know nothing about. Not, I mean, if you know nothing about cryptocurrency... That should be a giant red light. That should be a giant stop sign that says, don't do this. So she was skeptical. We'll continue the story. Hutchinson said that Hayo reassured her that this is an area that he knew well. And he got her to basically fork over 
$390,000. And she started small, but she soon started investing larger amounts. He just kept saying things like, look, this is money that can help support your family. Obviously, that's what I wanted to do, she said. So I feel bad with this one, for this woman, but she blew her whole family's wealth. She blew hundreds of thousands of dollars, more than some good people earn in a lifetime, but being duped by this fella that she never met. So I'm denouncing her and the con man that duped her. I am denouncing Abby Broyles. Abby Broyles is a congressional candidate in Oklahoma who got drunk at a friend's house and proceeded to verbally attack several preteen girls at the home of a friend who was hosting a sleepover. These were middle school girls. So she became more and more aggressive as she continued to drink wine throughout the night. Now, I'm not averse to getting drunk. I get drunk, you know, maybe, hopefully I'll get drunk Saturday. But I'm not averse to getting drunk. I I know people do stupid things when they're drunk. But the report states that this congressional candidate insulted these middle school girls attending the sleepover after getting intoxicated. And she said to one girl that she was an acne effer. She hurled multiple insults at other young girls as well. Hispanic effer, judgy effer. One of the girls left the room in tears after being insulted by this woman. Oh, and by the way, just for good measure, uh, this congressional candidate vomited into a laundry basket as well as a girl's shoe. Now, she's denying this. She said she took some bad medication or something. Isn't that always interesting that people always come up with that as an excuse? Oh, no, no, I wasn't drunk. I didn't go on a, a tirade cursing at middle school children. Uh, I, I was given some bad medication, please. I don't buy it. I don't buy wow, it. wow, wow. Um, hey, I have to denounce, and I, I hate to do it because it's a real terrific New York City institution. But I have to denounce Roland Roaster. Roland Roaster, an iconic restaurant in Sheepshead Bay, probably best known for their roast beef sandwiches, they are doing away with the cottage fries at the menu. Now, it's been years since I was at Roland Roaster, probably at least 20 years. But my favorite menu item at the uh, Roland Roaster was always those cottage fries. And I'm not really a fry guy, but the way they had it, it was like chips. The cottage fries with the cheese on them. That was delicious. And now they're doing away with them. They're replacing them with uh, conventional potato wedge style fries, calling the new versions crispier and even more delicious than the round potato versions, which have been a staple on the menu since the restaurant opened in 1970. Customers are outraged. And look, if they said that, hey, we're doing this over... Supply chain issues, but, um, you know, we're going to bring back the original cottage fries as soon as we can. I could deal. But the fact that they're trying to pass this off as something that's beneficial to the consumer, please, I'm not fooled. And you, let's cool it with the uh, sound effects a little bit, Matt. A little carried away. Um, 
This is interesting. We didn't. Ha- it took ten seconds to get the sounder, but all these unwanted sound effects—they're—they're they're always at the ready. I, I can't understand it. Um, I want to denounce these baby formula companies, Similac, Elicare, and Alimentum, that um, they're having to recall their baby formula after four infants were hospitalized with bacterial infections. Evidently, these varieties of baby formula, these three different types of infant formula, including the one that my son uses, they made some children sick. Uh, They had salmonella and a bunch of other bacteria that I can't even pronounce. How hard is it to keep salmonella out of food that we're giving to newborns? Is that too much to ask? I don't think it should be. I mean, if there's one thing that these baby formula companies should be able to do, you'd think it's make sure that their product is not making babies sick. Evidently, that's too much to hope for. And this has created quite an inconvenience for parents like us and probably millions of others around the country here. So hopefully they're able to figure this out um, and uh, figure get this straightened out. I want to denounce the journalists, and I am standing shoulder to shoulder with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar on this because she came out publicly on this and, in my view, did the right thing. I want to denounce the journalists who reported on the data breach of donors to the Canadian Freedom Convoy. Now, Ilhan Omar rightly pointed out that reporting on the identity of people that gave money to these uh, truckers, irrespective of what you think of the truckers. The only thing that does is lead to harassment of private citizens. So members of the media on both sides of the U.S.-Canadian border have been sharing names and how much money they contributed to the truckers who've been protesting Canada's vaccine mandate. And it's all from this leak or this hack from this website, Give, Send, Go. It was a hack of this crowdfunding website, and the hackers gave the journalists all this information, which they had no problem using. And the CBC, the Ottawa Citizen, and some other media outlets, the Washington Post, all had no problem mentioning the donors. And Ilhan Omar was absolutely right to say, I fail to see why any journalist felt the need to report on a shop owner making such an insignificant donation rather than to get them harassed. It's unconscionable, and journalists need to do better. You know, she's not one of my favorite members of Congress. She's a thousand percent right. Why would you do this to private citizens? And use hacked material, no less. I think that's a real shame, and uh, I applaud Ilhan Omar for saying so, and I denounce the Ottawa Citizen and the Washington Post and any media outlet that would publish the names of private citizens uh, who were donating and had their identity exposed as a result of a hack. So all of you, I do denounce you. If you did something bad and you uh, got away with it this week, well, look, you fooled me. You got one over on me. Next week, you may not be so lucky. We're going to talk Ukraine with Clint Ehrlich in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight 
with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Um, so I was so proud of myself. I finally booked this flight to Hawaii for my brother's wedding in June. And my wife just responds. She she wisely asked me to send her a uh, copy of my itinerary. And it looks like I booked my flights backwards. It looks like I am leaving Hawaii on June 2nd. And returning to and returning to um, and returning to Hawaii on June sixth, which is precisely the opposite of what I wanted to do. So that's annoying. I'm gonna have to straighten that out. Well, as mild an inconvenience as that is, that is nothing compared to what uh, people are dealing with in Eastern Europe right now. We are seeing a uh, war happen in Ukraine. Russian forces have invaded not just the Donbass region, but uh, they have gone right into Kiev. There are people dead. There are people fleeing their homes. And uh, this doesn't appear to be ending anytime soon. Now, full disclosure, I was one of the people that said I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought this was incredibly unlikely. And uh, I was very, very surprised at Vladimir Putin's action here. So I thought... As we continue to explore this issue of how we got here and where we're going, maybe it makes sense to talk to some people that were actually right about this. One of those people who's been right about this every step of the way is Clint Ehrlich. He's a foreign policy analyst, an attorney, and a former visiting researcher at Moscow's State Institute of International Relations, also becoming a regular on the Tucker Carlson program. Clint, I appreciate you uh, making the time to talk with us. I know you're very much in demand these days, and I know the time is not necessarily the most convenient. It's my my pleasure. I wish that I was here under happier circumstances. As do I. Now, um, let me play for you what uh, President Biden said yesterday as he uh, spelled out the new sanctions that he was leveling at Russia. This was President Biden. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. Um, your reaction, Clint, first of all, is, is President Biden right in that Putin is the aggressor here? And um, yeah, well, let's start with that. Uh, was, was President Biden correct there? Putin is certainly the, the aggressor. You know, Russia... Uh, is is the aggressor under any objective standard. But just because this isn't a a justified war doesn't mean that it wasn't a predictable war. And so, you know, I I call this 
uh, in advance because it was clear that Russia was articulating security interests that could only be uh, achieved through an invasion of Ukraine. And so it, it doesn't mean that we have to absolve uh, Vladimir Putin of fault to recognize that the choices that the United States made in terms of policy, like insisting that Ukraine uh, would become a member of NATO, contributed to this crisis, and that it's possible that with different policies, we could have de-escalated and avoided the slaughter that we're seeing. Now, um, in terms of um, what the situation on the ground looks like now, what are we seeing? What are the key targets in Ukraine that Russia appears to be targeting? And uh, how bad is the destruction from what you're hearing? You know, the the destruction is, is very widespread. It's hard to, to get uh, exact casualty figures because it's just such a, a fast-moving conflict. Right now, what the Russians are attempting to do is to seize Kiev. And so just within the, the last hour or so, we've seen images coming out showing Ukrainian forces blowing up the, the bridges around Kiev in a, a last-ditch attempt to try to stop Russian tanks from rolling into the city. The Russians appear to be about four miles now from the center of Kiev. And so this has really been a, a lightning attack by, by Russia. And even though the Ukrainians are, are trying very hard to put up a fight, it looks like they're rapidly losing their capital. Uh, the president uh, basically in instituting these new sanctions indicated that uh, these are some of the toughest sanctions the United States has ever leveled against another country and said that uh, they could get even worse if Russian aggression continues, irrespective of um, what you think of the the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. Do you think these sanctions will be effective in getting Russia to change its behavior? No, these, these sanctions will, will not be effective. And the primary reason for that is that Europe is so reliant on Russian energy that the, the sanctions exclude uh, Russia's energy sector. Uh, and so because of that, that mutual uh, dependence uh, that exists, it's just impossible right now to get the political will behind sanctions that would really be damaging to Russia's economy. And we, we've already seen the ruble starting to, to rebound. And so any claim that these sanctions are strong enough to deter Russia's conduct uh, is just false. Well, what impact will these sanctions have either on the United States or Russia from your perspective? Uh, the, the sanctions are, are going to harm both of our economies. They may contribute to inflation here. They're likely going to contribute to higher gas prices. Uh, in Russia, the ruble, even though it's rebounding, it still is at historically low levels. Uh, I personally know of companies uh, in Russia that have long-term contracts that have been broken off uh, with their uh, European partners. Now, not even in relation to the sanctions package, just in relation to the overall degradation in relations that exist now between Russia uh, and Europe. So the Russian economy uh, is hurting, but Russia has uh, accumulated a massive sovereign wealth fund uh, in order to try to weather the storm. They've been planning ahead for exactly this kind of conflict, uh, and they chose to go forward because they were ready to deal with the economic harm. Now, one of the reasons I thought an invasion was unlikely is because once you had President Biden taking off the table, sending military, uh, sending troops to Ukraine to uh, repel any Russian invasion, it would seem to me that um, NATO membership for Ukraine, which would require under Article 5 a uh, military alliance with all the other NATO countries, that you wouldn't see troops, NATO troops, do anything that American troops weren't willing to do. So it would seem to me like Putin sort of achieved his objective, 
just through this bluff of an invasion and seeing that Americans didn't have the spine to um, or maybe they had the wisdom, I should say, to put their troops in harm's way. Did Putin really need to invade, given what we were hearing about no troops uh, being sent to Ukraine? You know, Vladimir Putin is a a very long term strategic thinker. And so I believe that what's motivating him was not the immediate prospect of NATO membership for Ukraine, but the the long term prospect that eventually Ukraine could become a, a NATO member. And in particular, I think his concern was that Ukraine was developing its own homegrown ballistic missile systems that could target Russia's population centers. And so from Russia's perspective, if it didn't intervene now before those missile systems were operational, it was no longer going to be able to intervene because Ukraine would have such a strong conventional deterrent that it would no longer be feasible to stage this kind of operation. And so I think that Russia saw a narrowing window of opportunity to take actions to permanently stop Ukraine from becoming a NATO member. And they decided to act act preemptively because they thought that the the national security risks to them of inaction were greater than the risk of staging this kind of invasion. The Biden administration had said repeatedly that um, that an invasion of Ukraine by Russia was imminent. Uh, It looks like they were right. Uh, Does the Biden intelligence apparatus get some credit for getting it right this time, in your view? You know, it's difficult to say because they they cried wolf about this so so many times uh, that, yeah, eventually they were right. But there were all of the times that they said that invasion was going to happen within 48 hours, for example, and it didn't. My position had been that Russia had mobilized forces and that all we could say was that an invasion could happen at any time. And I think that they they sort of undercut their their credibility by saying over and over and over again that an invasion was going to happen within specific windows that that didn't materialize. So I'd give them a a solid B. They got the overall gist of Russia's plans correct, but they were overly specific in their predictions, uh, and that may have harmed their credibility along the way. Uh, So what do you think happens now? As somebody that's been right about this and uh, has predicted this right every step of the way, what do you see happening now? Uh, I see Russia pursuing regime change uh, in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that it's their their plan to engage in a a long-term occupation of the country, nor do I think that they really want to annex Ukrainian territory. Uh, Instead, when they talk about what they're branding a denazification operation, you know, whether you agree with that characterization or not, um, it gives us a a clue to their plans. And so their plan is they want to uh, remove uh, the current government. Uh, They're going to stage essentially tribunals, uh, sort of like uh, we saw after World War II. Uh, They're going to claim that these were uh, essentially neo-Nazis who were uh, committing crimes. Uh, So they'll be putting people on trial and probably executing. By the way, by the way, that is something that I've heard from at least one uh, person that I've had on this program from Donetsk and uh, from a couple of other people I'm in touch with via email who are in the Donbass region. Do we know if that claim of neo-Nazis working in concert with the Ukrainian government is accurate or not, or is that impossible to verify? The, the claim is accurate. The question is the, the scale, right? So Azov Battalion is an entity. You can look into them. Um, you know, the United States has characterized them as a, a neo-Nazi brigade uh, that is uh, under the, the command of the Ukrainian military. 
Uh, and so I'm certainly not saying that Ukraine is itself a neo-Nazi state. Uh, it has a, a Jewish president, and so that would sort of be a, a silly characterization. But there, there are elements uh, of Ukrainian society, um, especially those associated with the historic leader, Stepan Bandera, uh, who uh, are very sympathetic uh, to the Nazis because of uh, their, their collaboration against the Soviet Union. So I believe that that characterization is accurate. The question is just the scope of the relationship between the Ukrainian government and those neo-Nazi elements. A few months ago, I spoke with General Wesley Clark, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, about Russian concerns regarding NATO expansion. Here was my question to General Clark and General Clark's response. Can you understand a little bit of Russia's frustration in seeing NATO expand right up to its border? And can you understand why Russia might be looking to do some saber rattling and blustering in response to that? No, it's absolutely not understandable. And I'll tell you why. There's no way in which NATO would ever threaten Russia. NATO cannot attack. NATO has no attack capabilities, never has had. This is maybe Russia trying to make you see their point of view, but their point of view is not defensible. Their point of view is imperialistic, assertive, aggressive, and offensive. Russia has a three-century, four-century-long record of overrunning other people. Russia wants everything. It wants a buffer zone in Eastern Europe. Oh, but it would like more assurance that Germany and France would be friendly. Uh, Russia's insecurities cannot be allowed to create insecurity for the rest of the world. So the fact is, Russia should concentrate on working for the Russian people and not be so concerned about repressing the Belarusian people, which they're doing right now, or threatening the Ukrainian people, or challenging the nationhood of the Baltic states, or threatening the United States if we send destroy a couple of destroyers into the Black Sea. Um, that's not the right role for Russia. It's not understandable, and we should not say we understand. So, Clint, there's a lot of folks in this audience that General Clark was speaking for. They view the United States and NATO as the good guys. And they don't believe that Vladimir Putin genuinely finds NATO to be threatening. Because in the eyes of many of our listeners, they view NATO, just as General Clark seems to, as an entity that would never do anything that's hostile. From your perspective, as somebody that understands both American and Russian mindsets on this issue, did Putin have a legitimate beef about being concerned about uh, NATO aggression? Or is General Clark right that Putin's beef is totally illegitimate? I think they're, they're both right. I think that General Clark is right that NATO does not intend to attack Russia. But I think that uh, he overestimates the extent to which uh, the Russians can reasonably be expected to share that belief. NATO is fundamentally an anti-Russian military bloc. Uh, when he says that it has no offensive capabilities, uh, he, he's respectfully overlooking uh, the bombing operations that it carried out over the, the former uh, Yugoslavia, which Russia uh, considers severe violations of, uh, of international law uh, and which it blames for the deaths of, of numerous civilians. 
Uh, and putting aside NATO's intentions, the facts are that if NATO expands uh, to Russia's borders, well, it's already on their borders, but if it expands even closer to Moscow by, for example, incorporating Ukraine, then NATO would have the ability to place missiles within five minutes uh, from the capital. And so just from a, a nuclear strategy perspective, if you only have five minutes to respond to a potential nuclear attack, it forces you to change the posture uh, of your own weapon systems. You have to uh, consider a launch on warning scenario where you have to be ready to launch your nukes even before you've been hit uh, because it's not clear that you would have a, uh, a second strike capability. Uh, and so irrespective of intentions, you know, you, you may have the, the best of intentions. The strategic balance is such that the, the Russians are, are fearful. And certainly when you when you hear rhetoric uh, like General Clark gave uh, about Russia's history uh, of invading uh, its neighbors, I think it's important to balance that out with understanding the Russians' own experience of being uh, invaded, being invaded by uh, Napoleon being invaded by Hitler. Uh, and so their desire to have a, a buffer is based in part on their geography. They don't have any natural borders uh, like we do. We have this, you know, these oceans that keep our enemies uh, away, uh, whereas Russia is stuck with, with planes. And so a buffer is really all that they have uh, in order to defend themselves. So I, I understand where General Clark is coming from, and I understand people who say that, look, NATO is uh, an alliance that uh, has positive uh, intentions, but I would urge them to try to see things from the, the Russian perspective, because the Russians are being very sincere about their fears. I've talked to high-level decision-makers within Russia's government, and I can assure you that their fear of NATO is entirely authentic. Mm. Uh, people just tuning in, we're talking with Clint Ehrlich. He's an attorney and a foreign policy analyst and a former visiting researcher at Moscow State Institute of International Relations. Clint, um, you said that you predicted Russians, the Russians would pursue a policy of regime change in Ukraine. I'm assuming that means uh, Zelensky and the other high-level members of the government being replaced by government officials that are much more friendly to Russia and Putin. But what do you think Ukraine as a country will look like after that? Will it simply no longer include the Donbass region, or is it likely to shrink even further than that? I think that what Russia is going to try to do is to decrease the power of Ukraine's central government, because they're aware that even after they pursue regime change, there's always the, the possibility uh, of a new uh, hostile government uh, coming to power in Ukraine. And so the Russians' long-term goal is to uh, minimize uh, that risk by making Ukraine something more like a, a federation. Uh, and so it's possible uh, that the, the um, the Donetsk uh, and Lugansk uh, People's Republics uh, could be incorporated uh, into that federation as semi-autonomous republics, or it could be possible that they would be kept uh, as entirely separate nation states. Either way, the goal would be to try to uh, reduce the power of Ukraine's central government so that it would pose less of a threat to Russia in the future. And um, l let me play for you what President Biden said yesterday about uh, Vladimir Putin's intentions and what his goals are in this whole thing. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. In your view, is the president right there? Um, I think that's an overstatement. 
Russia already has a, a union state uh, with Belarus that has certain characteristics uh, that are reminiscent uh, of the Soviet Union. Uh, and it's possible that in the future they would like to incorporate Ukraine into that same uh, union state. But I don't believe that there's any uh, appetite uh, in Russia to expand uh, into states beyond that. And so, for example, I, I certainly don't believe that Russia wants to reclaim territories like the, the Baltic states that were part of the Soviet Union and, and, and that are now part of NATO. Uh, that, to me, is, is simply not plausible. Understanding that uh, Russia and Putin are the aggressors here and further understanding that sanctions are likely to be ineffective at curbing further aggression. What should the United States have done and what should the United States do going forward? What the United States should have done was to take the the prospect of Ukraine being uh, in NATO off of the table. And that didn't necessarily require that we agree to the Russians' demands entirely. What the Russians wanted was a a binding treaty uh, that said that Ukraine would never become a part of NATO. Instead, all that we had to do to de-escalate the situation was to withdraw the declaration that NATO made in 2008 that Ukraine was going to become a member and to instead have its its status be up in the air. That would have been a very effective immediate step. Now it's too late for that. Now the war started. And so the question is, what do we do in order to prevent that war from spilling over into other states? And so I don't support uh, us intervening in Ukraine itself, but I believe that it's appropriate for us to bolster our NATO allies uh, and to draw a line in the sand and to tell Russia, uh, if this conflict spills into any of those other states, then Article 5 will be triggered and we will fight. And um, you think the likelihood of that occurring is what? I think that the likelihood of that that spillover uh, is is de minimis if we're clear with Russia uh, that we uh, intend uh, to defend those states. And we need to be very clear uh, in particular that if there are declarations of, of separatist uh, regions, so for example, if in Estonia there are, uh, are Russians there uh, who say uh, that they're appealing for help from Russia, we have to make it clear that there's no excuses that we're going to accept uh, for any sort of Russian intervention on the territory of any country that is a NATO member. And if we do that, I'm very confident that Russia will not uh, be the aggressor in those states. Mm. Uh, it's very interesting. You know, one of the things that's been frustrating to me is the media coverage and the media analysis of this situation. If you're somebody that uh, that advocates detente with Russia and not uh, figuring out the most aggressive stance possible that the United States can take with the Russian government, you're basically labeled either an appeaser or a Russian stooge. Have you found that in your analysis of the media coverage over the last 24 hours? I've personally experienced that a lot. I I can't tell you how many times I've been accused of being on the the Kremlin's payroll somehow, of being a a useful idiot for the regime. And it's really a shame because if we're going to try to de-escalate the situation, if we're going to try to avoid, frankly, the potential for a a world war, we need to see the world through Russia's eyes. And that's really a a universal Mm. principle. It's not just true for Russia. It's true for any adversary. Uh, But unfortunately, that kind of jingoistic rhetoric is becoming all too common here in America. That is uh, absolutely for sure. Uh, Clint Ehrlich, I very much appreciate the time this morning. I, uh, I'm sorry we're talking under these circumstances, but I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for having me on. All right. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you are welcome to give me a call. Uh, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. 
Love songs with whistling. Uh, there's nothing that beats a good song with whistling. Any genre, any artist, I mean, love it. Um, all right, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. In addition to the uh, Ukraine situation, one of my immediate concerns, and I just tried to spend the last, you know, 80 seconds of the of the commercial break dealing with this, is, you know, I, I booked a flight for um, my brother's wedding to Hawaii. And I was able to book it through my uh, American Express um, airline points. You know, you get points with the lavish credit card bills that I have, uh, you know, racked up and paid off over the years. But, um, you know, so I did that. And it says it comes with, Free cancellation within 24 hours. Okay, great. Great. So then um, I'm looking at, um, so then I, I cancel. Just canceled. And just just now, just two minutes ago, canceled. So then I rebook. I'm trying to rebook right now. And now it's showing that I've, I don't have any more points left. So now, look. I'm going to have to call American Express later today, and I'm going to have to get them to somehow restore my points. I hope they're not gone forever, because this is really that's really quite irritating. I must say, I always do stuff like this. I always end up um, ordering the wrong size of things or uh, stuff that you know. I don't. In this case, I booked a flight backwards instead of booking a flight to Hawaii from New York. I booked a flight to New York from Hawaii. But now and now I can't use my points to buy the proper flights. So now I got to call these people. Ugh, I hate that. Uh, it's that's really annoying because you know it's never going to be a pleasant process being on the on the phone with these people, right? Now I'm going to have to call them, and I'm going to have to uh, be put on hold. Talk to someone else. Oh, I'm sorry, we can't find your reservation. Do you have your confirmation number? No, I don't have my confirmation number. All right. Well, what what address did you use? Oh, I use that address. Okay. Now we'll look it up at your address. So you know it's going to be a whole to do. Nothing's easy. Nothing's easy. You know what's easy when you get married 15 minutes from where you live, like I did. But apparently that's too much for some members of the Morano family. But whatever. <sighs> okay. So I'll work on that. At five o'clock. That's uh, I'm excited to do. I'm excited to work on that. Uh, Gary Korb will join us in about a half hour. We're going to talk cigars, and uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation because uh, it's pretty soon. It's going to be National Cigar Day. A lot of you have been uh, reaching out and asking about um, our cat Bathsheba. This was a big part of the drama yesterday. If you hadn't heard about this, basically. My wife's favorite cat, we have three cats, and my wife's favorite cat is a black cat that we have called Bathsheba. And uh, my wife noticed a sudden weight loss. So she takes her to the veterinarian two days ago. Immediately, the veterinarian diagnoses her with conjunctivitis and gives 
my wife medication to give the cat twice a day, which she has been giving her. But they also took the cat's blood and urine and did a full battery of tests, and so we're waiting to hear back. Well, yesterday, the whole day, my wife's waiting. She's waiting, and she's saying to me, the longer the day is progressing, she's saying I'm getting very nervous now because I know what they do. She says, I I know when there's something seriously wrong, they don't want just a technician or the receptionist to talk to you about it. They want the actual veterinarian to do it, and they do it at the end of the day. You could tell my wife has a lot of experience with cats and pets in general. She knows her stuff. So she's the longer the day goes without her getting a call, the more nervous she gets, my wife. And the cat didn't seem too nervous about it. But um, then finally, at around 6.30, 7 o'clock, the veterinarian's office finally calls her. My wife's all nervous. You could hear a pin drop in our house. And she's on the phone with the veterinarian. And it turns out that all of Beth Sheba's results were in normal range. Nothing abnormal at all on the blood test or the urine test. So on the one hand, my wife was very relieved. Uh, but on the other hand, it really does not explain the sudden weight loss. So she made an appointment to take her back in two weeks to determine um, what the status of the cat's weight is at that point. And the uh, the veterinarian told her double her food intake between now and then. Now, my wife didn't tell her that this cat eats like crazy. She not only eats her own food and there's dry food there that she can eat as much as she wants, but a lot of times when the cats don't get to their own wet food fast enough, she'll eat their food as well. So this cat is eating plenty. So I don't think doubling the, the food intake is the is the issue. So I don't know. My sister suggested maybe maybe uh, my wife's just used to picking up our ever-growing son. Maybe that's why the cat just felt lighter. I don't know. So thanks for everybody that wrote. But uh, thankfully, nothing serious, at least at the moment. In the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. So use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. The weekend is here. And I hope you have some some fun stuff planned or maybe just a chance to relax a little bit, whatever you have in store. Thanks for beginning your weekend with me. Uh, there's a whole bunch of very controversial, very interesting Supreme Court cases and decisions that are in the offing. But sometimes... The most interesting cases that the Supreme Court hears involve important decisions, I should say, that the Supreme Court makes are about whether to hear a case or not. 
And some interesting news on this front. The Supreme Court of the United States denied a petition to hear a woman's case over Ocean City, Maryland's topless ban on Tuesday. Chelsea C. Eline had a petition denied on February 22nd. So what happened is this. June 2017, Ocean County, Ocean City, Maryland Mayor Rick Meehan and the city council passed an emergency legislation banning public nudity. Quote, we will not allow women to be topless on our beach or on any public beach within city limits. That's what the mayor said at the time in the wake of controversy after the Ocean City Beach Patrol was told not to address topless bathers a month before. But the town clarified that police can still enforce public nudity. Anyone found in violation could be subject to a fine of up to $1,000, according to the ordinance. In January of 2020, Supreme Court justices denied a petition to review a court decision in New Hampshire about women who were a part of the free nipple campaign over their rights to go topless. A federal judge ruled in Ocean City in April of 2020 after five Maryland women filed a lawsuit against the town over their right to go topless. So the federal judge, the lower court, ruled in favor of the city and against the topless women. The judge noted that the Supreme Court has said physical differences between men and women provide a constitutionally sound basis for laws that treat them differently. The judge in that case also said the ban relates to the important government objective of protecting public, excuse me, protecting public sensibilities from nude displays of areas on the body traditionally viewed as erogenous zones. In May of 2021, the appeals court reviewed this 2020 ruling and a three-judge panel ruled unanimously that the ordinance was constitutional in August. So you have the lower court rule in favor of the town and against the topless women. You have the appeals court rule in favor of the town and against the topless women. And now... In December of 2021, the women, including the lead petitioner, uh, Miss Eline, asked the Supreme Court to hear the challenge to the ban. And this week, the Supreme Court came back and said, no, no way. What do you think about this? Uh, Do you think the Supreme Court was right to not hear the case? 800-848-WABC. What do you think of these anti- um, Nudity ordinances in general, 800-848-WABC. You know, I'm very conflicted about this case because on the one hand, I tend to think towns should be able to make whatever sort of reasonable laws that they want about, you know, things. I don't like courts telling towns that are run by democratically elected uh, politicians that they can't do that with the town can't do what it wants. 
I think, um, you know, the solution, if you want to be a topless woman on the beach in Ocean City, Maryland, is to run for office or to get people to run for office who support that position. It's not to run to the courts and have the courts rescue you from the decisions of politicians. I hate that. I call it not um, judicial review. I call it judicial supremacy. Uh, On the other hand, I feel very strongly that women should be able to be topless on a beach. I think it's nuts that you have this amount of uh, gender discrimination where a man can be topless on a beach but not a woman. Um, I just have never understood why so many in America, including a lot of public officials, get so hung up over nudity. I mean, ultimately, everybody has the same parts. And roughly half the population has women's breasts. And just about the other half of the population has at one time or another not only seen a woman's breast, but suckled on them uh, as part of their process of breastfeeding. So I've never understood what's the big deal. The fact that you need to run in and uh, legislate and pass ordinances. And I am a little surprised that the Supreme Court didn't feel the need to at least make a decision on this, to put these sort of these um, cases, these writs of certiorari to rest in the future, because I think there are some very, very troublesome, potentially equal protection arguments on this front, uh, because you're treating one class of people differently than another class of people based solely on their gender. And if you look at uh, some of the other cases that have been decided on an equal protection basis where they point to the 14th Amendment, I think those cases are on much shakier ground than this one might have been. So I don't know how the court would have ruled. Chances are the court probably would have ruled the way that the lower courts ruled. But I am a little surprised that both the conservative justices and the liberal justices didn't want some sort of didn't want to be heard on this and sort of put to rest any of these free the nipple challenges for the future, because I feel like you're going to keep seeing these cases until the Supreme Court speaks unequivocally about some of the nuances that are in these various ordinances. Although I guess, according to the lower courts, the Supreme Court has already spoken out on this. So let me know your thoughts on this. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What you think of these towns, these communities banning uh, topless women at the beach, and what you think of the Supreme Court's decision not to hear that case, 800-848-9222. We're also certainly keeping an eye on um, Ukraine and everything that's happening there. But uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes. It is interesting. You know, it's funny. I'm on a, a group text message with a lot of congressional staffers because, you know, I have friends that are current members of Congress, former members of Congress. And, you know, you have friends that are on their staff. And I got a message. I'm on this group text. And one friend of mine who's a current congressional staffer who was planning to go on vacation this weekend, uh, somebody had basically wrote to the five or six of us, said, anybody want to hang out on Saturday? And then this one person 
says, my flight canceled, and I, you know, I can hang out. P.S. The Russia situation is really, really bad. We got a cyber attack warning from House Security. Then this person says to everyone else on the group text, make sure you have cash on hand in case they attack our our banks. Then she adds, so we can buy drinks, of course. And uh, I said, well, the joke's on you, or the joke will be on the cyber attackers, because after paying my bills this week, I only have $174 left in my bank account. Then my wife tells me yesterday that after she paid her bills, she only had $15 left in her bank account. So as they say, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And so when uh, well, when you may only have $174 in your bank account, but when the other person in your household only has $15, then you see in short order exactly uh, exactly who the wealthy one is in the relationship. want to encourage you to uh, follow me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Uh, it's Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And to join the Facebook group at uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. And, um, and again, it's facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. It's an interesting Facebook community there, a vibrant Facebook community. And I had stated that I, would, I had hoped that um, some of you would pick out in that Facebook group for the people like my sister Claudia or my friend Arthur – who can't listen to all four hours of this show, I had hoped that you would pick out the 45 minutes that are must-listen and post your nomination for what the best 45 minutes of any given show are so that this way if people want to listen to the podcast and they only have 45 minutes, they don't have four hours, then they can um, they can go ahead and do that there. But you guys got out of the habit of doing that. So try and go into the habit of uh, of doing that again. On Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. Jay, were you on the air already today? I was, yes, sir. I thought I'll so. I thought so. Uh, clearly, uh, yeah. you've uh, you've got Molly's number, literally and figuratively. But you got a great show, Frank. you got to admit that. Yes. No, so much so that I'm reliant upon the same callers to call in multiple times. Okay, yeah. Uh, my, my family grew up on Long Island. My parents, my dad's from New Hyde Park, mom from Valley Stream. And it was kind of a rural area back in the 40s and 50s. Wait, you're talking dip. Maryland or or Long Island? Uh, Long Island. Okay. And uh, they told me that them and their friends used a skinny dip in Lake Ronkonkoma. Okay, well, and they survived somehow. They did, and I bet it would raise some eyebrows today. <laughs> I bet you're probably right, Jay. I don't know about you, but I, I don't see what the big deal is. I don't see why the need for all these these ordinances, and uh, I am I, I don't see why people need to get so uptight about all this stuff. But that is one of the many reasons, I suppose, why I am not the mayor of Ocean City, Maryland, not the least of which is I don't live there, and that's one of the many reasons that I am not on the Supreme Court. By the way, I mentioned the podcast. If you um, want to do us a solid, you can subscribe to the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app, even if you don't, um, even if you listen to the show live, 
It'll help us out if you subscribe to the podcast and encourage your friends to do so as well. And you can leave us a nice review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you want or that you listen to the show on. And if you leave a five-star review coupled with a nice comment, then uh, that'll help other people discover the show as well. Scrapper is in Meriden, Connecticut. Is it Meriden or Meridian? Meriden. I thought so. Okay, got it. Uh, Meriden. You're you're pretty pretty good. I don't know how you do it, but keep going. The issue with the topless women, uh, they have a right to walk around topless just like a man does. And uh, the Supreme Court didn't want to address the issue because they knew what was supposed to be said and done. They don't want to go against any towns, per se, around the country. The problem is, in the country right now, always been, there's no pushback by the people who are in charge. And the people who are in charge are the people like you and I that vote. And um, that's the problem. Nobody wants to stand up and uh, maybe get shot down by uh, an official somewhere. But uh, that's my point. Thank you. Thank you, Scrapper. Well, I will say this. You know, so it only takes four justices to agree to uh, grant cert, right, to hear a case, basically. And I am, for some of the reasons that Scrapper just mentioned, I am pretty surprised that they couldn't get four justices to agree to hear this case. And as far as Scrapper's theory that it's all about them not wanting to publicly thumb their nose at the mayor of a town, well, I don't think that's true because historically, especially over the last 40, 50 years, the Supreme Court has not had that kind of deference to – Local officials. Usually they have no problem overruling local officials. Tell me what you think. Uh, Tell me what you think of the ban on topless bathing at the beach to begin with. And B, what you think of the Supreme Court's decision not to hear this case, to let the lower court decision stand. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Over the weekend, if you want to email me, you can do so at frank.morano at... WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. You know, Jay in Cincinnati making his second appearance on the show. Uh, he mentioned Long Island. We're actually slated to go out to Long Island tomorrow. We're leaving bright and early. We have a full day of activity, and we're celebrating not only my mother-in-law's birthday, but my sister-in-law Sharon's birthday. And you know what a fan I am of my uh, my sister-in-law Sharon. Uh, I mean, um, uh, so w- w- it's going to be a long day because my wife, who uh, also works for the newspaper up there, Newsday, she's scheduled to take some photographs for this, uh, this column that she writes called Faces of Long Island. So she's going to be running all over Long Island. So... Uh, I'm going to bring my computer. Maybe we'll get some work done out there as well. So uh, we'll see what happens. Hey, you know, I just got this email from Neil, and he's exactly um, he's exactly right. Uh, w- did we play Rhapsody in Blue during denunciations? We did. It just started a little late. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate you keeping several Matt. times. We I appreciate you keeping Matt on uh, on his uh, on his uh, 
toes there. Appreciate that. 800-848-WABC. Hey, we're going to talk cigars in about 10 minutes. Even if you're not necessarily into cigars yourself, I am betting that there is somebody in your life that is a cigar smoker and uh, you can benefit from this conversation. And, you know, for those of you that don't like cigars and don't understand cigars and don't understand what the allure is, listen to my interview coming up with Gary Korb and you will. You will gain a greater appreciation for why some of us enjoy smoking cigars from from time to time. Uh, It is National Cigar Day this weekend, so we're going to get into uh, how people are celebrating National Cigar Day over the weekend. I'm hoping that that the weather holds up and I'm able to squeeze in an an outdoor cigar on on my stoop or, I don't know, somewhere over the weekend. So we'll see. I'm going to be on Long Island all day Saturday. I don't know what the weather's like out there, but we'll see. Maybe Saturday or Sunday I'll get to finish this cigar that I started earlier in the week. 800-848-9222. Joe is on Ron Konkuma, the land of skinny dipping, apparently. Hello, Joe. (laughs) Hey, Frank. How are you doing tonight? I am doing, uh, I'd say, a a 6 out of 10, maybe a 7 out of 10. I'm about the same. All right, Uh, good. I think... Let women do what they want to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you want to be free and run and do whatever you want on the beach, it's all right by me. Um, I had a question for you. I want. I have tonight coming up Saturday night off. What's a good cigar that you could recommend to me? You know, it all depends on. Do you um, do you like a mild cigar? Do you like a stronger cigar? What do you think? Mild. I like. I'm gonna. You know, but I'm going to be drinking some uh, Jack Daniels, so I want something that go good with bourbon. Yeah, I see. I don't. Th- I don't think you can go wrong with a nice um, a- Ashton with a Connecticut wrapper. But I'll ask Gary Corp. He's the real expert. We'll ask him in about uh, in about ten minutes. Uh, so we'll talk to him. Jim is in Aston. Hello, Jim. Hey, Frank. Yeah, just commenting on the on the new thing. Yeah, tell you me. Know, I'm not a I'm not a prude. You know, I mean, my twenties and. Respect and you know nightclubs, strip bars, and fast cars. You know, but having kids, it's a point of decency. There are nude beaches. I mean, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a nude beach on Sandy Hook, and uh, I we went there as as kids in our twenties. We were fishing off the beach. We went on and went on the beach, but um, I, I just think it's a point of decency. It's and, and for kids, you know, what's to say if women are topless? Some guys said, "Hey, I'm so bottomless." And well, yeah, no, I, I, I understand you know? that. I understand that, and um, and this wouldn't apply to the Sandy Hook nude beaches. It would only be Ocean City, Maryland. My my thinking is, look, in New York, what they decided and what the state courts decided, and my friend Ron Kuby was actually an attorney in this case, and uh, I'm going to invite Ron on the radio next week to talk about this and some other things. But um, he, what the state courts in New York decided was that if a man could go topless. A woman could go topless. In New York, a man is not able to go bottomless and a woman is not able to go bottomless. I just look and the irony is I see I would never go to a nude beach because I don't want people seeing my business and forgetting about the the, you know, my private parts. The parts, you know, just me without a shirt on is a sight that would leave a lot of children screaming. I just never kind of got the big deal about what it is about a woman's breasts that make people flip out. Yeah, I mean, it's just society. You know, I think over in Europe they go topless, right? I mean, you know, a lot of European beaches they uh, they allow that, yeah. or maybe South America. Yeah, um, you're right about that. that. You're right about honestly, that. Honestly, the, the nude beach in Sandy Hook, you know what was there? 
Old well people. Endowed, old, well endowed. I, old guys. I knew you were going to say that. Fat chicks and gay guys. That was that's what was on Nude Beach and Sandy Hook. Well, uh, all, look, all looking to hook up. That's what was on Sandy Hook, Nude Beach. There wasn't any models on the on the Nude Beach I, at, at Sandy Hook. I am not. Uh, <laughs> I am not surprised to hear that in the least, Jim. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, so I got this email here from um, a very astute listener to this program, and he said, "See, I don't disclose my birthday." And what this listener said is, I've never seen a Wikipedia page of a person that did not include their birth date and, if applicable, death date. That could be a problem. And then he lists, um, you know, you know, various things. And he said, I wrote about this before. You didn't seem to care that you didn't have an article. One probably has to initiate the process of having an article written about them unless one is a major political sports or entertainment figure. Not that you aren't in New York City, but nationally, uh, it seems like it would be a lot of work as every fact has to be footnoted. Yeah, I I think probably when this person wrote to me initially and uh, brought up that I didn't have a Wikipedia page, I probably was trying to act like it didn't bother me not to have a Wikipedia page. And maybe at the time that it didn't. But now that I see that I'm mentioned in all these other Wikipedia pages, I, I almost want to click on my name and see what comes up there. But it just uh, doesn't uh, doesn't do it. Whatever. I mean, my life will continue um, pretty much the same with on Wikipedia, not on Wikipedia, whatever. Howard is in Elmhurst. Hello, Howard. Thank you. Good luck to the cat and your wife. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, in the in Holland, there's an area called Schrevening. And they have a wall. If you don't want to see the nudity, uh, you can go around the wall. Otherwise, you can walk straight through. So I think you have, it's good to give people a choice. And uh, some people, because religion, they might be offended or whatever, you know? Well, look, I agree with that. And like I said, I I see this two ways, right? I mean, the democratically elected government in Ocean City, Maryland, voted to institute this ordinance. And my view is usually if you don't like the law, elect people that um, that will change it. And that's sort of the that's sort of my de facto position on everything rather than run to the courts. I, I am just sort of surprised that the courts wouldn't have put to rest any 14th Amendment issues on equal protection over this when they've issued a lot of other cases and a lot of other opinions on 14th Amendment grounds that I find to be, as I said, much shakier. Squeeze in one more call here, and then um, we'll do the $1,000 Minute, and we'll give uh, we'll give you some insight into the world of cigar smokers. Tom is in Durham. Hello, Tom. Hey, good morning, Mayor Frank. So I have a, I think a fairly creative solution to this whole conundrum with the topless uh, data here. First and foremost, I think it's ridiculous. Let people do what they want to do. If you want to put a sign up, you know, to warn people they, they might see something, that's another thing. But anyway, you know, if they get in trouble, they should just pull the, well, you know, they're going to get a ticket or something. They say, well, I identify as a man. See how that goes for them. There you go. Maybe that'll help them identify that uh, $1,000 uh, $1, fine. Tom, what kind of phone do you use? What phone company do you, you subscribe this to? This is a crappy Android, and I'm in my garage. You have that's an Android, and it sounds like that. What service? Well, I'm in the garage. <laughs> what service, though? There's no way that's Verizon. Uh, what is it? No, I think it's 
T-Mobile or something. T- I, I knew it. I knew it before you said it. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and the, the thank you. You know, so if I worked for Verizon, and I'm not looking at I give them enough of my money. I'm not looking to give them any more ideas. But if I worked for Verizon, I would just play the calls of T-Mobile customers to other other people. Because you know when someone calls and they sound like that, it's never a Verizon phone. It's T-Mobile or one of these other Fakakta phone companies. Uh, Mike is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, the Ocean City, Maryland situation, it, they, I would imagine, because I've been down there quite a few times, they want to keep it family-orientated because they have a big area with a boardwalk, with rides, and, and a lot of people go down there to uh, f- with families. They go golfing. It's a golf area. It's a fishing area. So they want to keep it more family-orientated. And if the lower court said, it, you know, ruled against it, then the appeals ruled against it, why would it go to the up above? They already they look probably look at the transcripts and made decisions off the transcripts. Well, look, you, I think you're, you're probably right, Mike, in that uh, the lower courts did cite a, a previous Supreme Court decision in coming to their decision. So uh, I guess, you know, they call it, I guess, stare decisis. And I guess the Supreme Court was happy to let their prior decision stand. So I guess you're right legally and maybe on the merits. I just um, I thought for sure that this was the kind of case that the Supreme Court would hear. Hey, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to win some money. You want to be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if you are the seventh caller, you'll have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Answer them all, win $1,000. Gary Korb will join me to talk cigars in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. How you doing out there? You ever seen there one of those days where it just seems like everybody's getting on your case from your teacher all the way down to your best girlfriend? Well, you know, I used to have them just about all the time, but I found a way to get out of it. Let me tell you about it. We're going to talk smoking in just a minute with Gary Korb, our resident cigar expert, who uh, will tell you how he's celebrating National Cigar Day. But before we do, we want to give one lucky person an opportunity to win some money because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Uh, thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to today's contestant, Ray in Buffalo. Hello there, Ray. Hello, how are you? Well, I'm, you know, uh, I would venture to say I'm doing pretty well. Certainly doing better than the people in Kiev are doing. 
that's for sure. All right. Now, uh, Ray, are you a regular listener to this program? I am, yes. Good. Okay. So you've, I imagine, heard this contest before. Yes. All right. So you know you're going to have uh, 60 seconds once I ask the first question to go through all 10 of these questions. These are not difficult questions. So uh, the key is just to not get flustered. Think about the questions for a second. And usually it's the first thing that comes to your mind. And then if you answer 10 questions correctly, you'll win $1,000. If you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next question so that we can get through all of these questions. All right? Gotcha. All right. You ready to go? Ready to go. All right. You you sound a little subdued, Ray. I'm trying to be excited for you, and yet you're, you're like, slowing me down here. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm pretty... I'm pretty, I just woke up a little All while. right, I hear you, I hear you. You should see uh, what I'm like when I just wake up. All right, well, hopefully the adrenaline will be uh, pumping in order to uh, get the money pumping to you as well. All right, name a stringed musical instrument. A guitar. What sport is also known as football? Soccer. What color is made from mixing blue and yellow? Green. On Sundays, Sundays, who co-hosts Left versus Right with Curtis Sliwa? Anthony Weiner. I'm sorry, Anthony Weiner is the host on on Saturdays. On Sundays, it is Christopher Hahn, the aggressive progressive. Uh, so and uh, so Ray is incorrect there. Uh, Ray, hang on. Molly will take your information, and we will send you a consolation prize. Getting up to the fourth question there, uh, always pays to know the lineup. If I was playing this game, that's the first thing I'd do. I'd just give the lineup a once-over. Who's on when? No trick questions. All right. Um, Meantime, I I am thrilled on the eve of National Cigar Day to be able to talk with Gary Korb, the executive editor for CigarAdvisor.com. Gary, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know this is your busy time of year. Yes, thank you, Frank. Great to be on again. Thanks for having me. And what? this National Cigar Day is actually on Sunday, February 27th. Why would they do it on a Sunday? Why wouldn't they celebrate it on the Monday after the weekend like Lincoln does with his birthday? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that is the day that they gave to the holiday. It's always on the 27th. And it's actually uh, in um, – it's um, – it's actually in honor of um, Oscar Hammerstein's uh, grandfather. Uh, he invented the cigar rolling machine. It was patented on February 27, 1883. Oh, really? Uh, so yeah. how long uh, does this tradition of National Cigar Day go back, as far as you're aware? Well, I, I, don't, I think it may go back not too far. It, it could be 2014. It might be before that, but I really couldn't find anything on that. I see. I see. All right. What are you going to be doing for National Cigar Day? Well, I am going to probably uh, just kind of hang out uh, with some people over at uh, our uh, our um, lounge called Leaf in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. Mm. And uh, we have that kind of a regular – I'm starting to get familiar with a couple of regular guys over there who – I've gotten to know. And, you know, everybody It's so interesting because you meet the most fascinating people sometimes. You know, you never know, like, what people are doing or what they're up to. And, then you know, everyone's sitting around having a cigar and they're relaxed. And, 
And you just kind of learn about, you know, what what, uh, what people do for a living or what they're interested in. And the other day we were talking about. Yeah, music. it's very social. That's the that's the aspect yeah. about cigar smoking that I find I enjoy the most as well. The social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. No, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. What, what were you going to say? No, that, that's that's all. I'm, I'm, you know, I was just going to say that that's you're on you're on point. Yeah, it's it's very good that way. All right, that's now what I like about it. Uh, there's a number of things that I want to ask you about. But a, a caller called a few minutes ago, Joe and Ron Konkama, and he's a great yes, guy. I heard, yes, and yes. Uh, he was looking for a mild cigar uh, that he could enjoy this weekend, maybe with some Jack Daniels. Where would you steer a guy like that? Okay, well, actually, I could turn him on to something kind of new if he hasn't had it before. Uh, there's a brand called Charter Oak, Connecticut, and it's made by a fi- fellow named Nick Melillo down in Nicaragua, and it's it's gotten some great accolades in terms of reviews and, and the scoring points. That is a really, really good Connecticut wrapper and a uh, kind of a milder uh, or mellower uh, Nicaraguan filler to it. And Nick is from Connecticut, which is why he's very concerned about making sure his Connecticut is excellent. So that might be a good one for him, Charter Oak. Also, I guess a Macanudo uh, would be a good one, or Perdomo, 10th anniversary, not 10th anniversary, uh, Champagne. Mm. But I don't want to get crazy with, you know, because then you have too many choices. So I'd say the Charter Oak, Connecticut is pretty good choice now remind us gary and we've talked to you before and you always have a, a ton of expertise on the on the issue of cigars but remind us what is cigaradvisor.com cigaradvisor.com is a online magazine which is dedicated to basically educating and informing uh, new cigar smokers well cigar smokers everywhere at all levels all skills we do a lot of videos in fact, if you were to go to the homepage right now, there is an article uh, still on the 10 best cigars of 2021 that we picked. Mm. Uh, there's a review of the Ferio Tego Hanaroso that one of my co-writers, Jared Gulick, wrote. There's a, our fan mail, our monthly fan mail, where we answer questions about cigars and cigar smoking. I did one uh, this month on um, choosing the right cigar cutter, things like that. And uh, it just... Just tons and tons of information on cigar smoking, how they're made, where they're made, who makes them. You name it, we got it up there. Neat. No, that's uh, that's pretty. That's pretty pretty neat. There. Now, you alluded uh-huh. to um, the a cigar rolling machine. Right. How does a cigar mm-hmm. rolling machine work exactly? Well, it's very fascinating. Uh, when I was in the Dominican Republic. I actually got to witness one of these things. Um, it, it takes what it is. is now, what's ironic about National Cigar Day, you're honoring uh, Oscar Hammerstein, uh, who made this machine. But machine-made cigars are completely different from premium hand-rolled you know, cigars. But what it does is I walked into this room, and there's this huge machine. I mean, and, and it's, it's, there's a ton of shredded tobacco that's poured into the top of this machine, okay? And the tobacco kind of falls down. It's kind of like a Rube Goldberg kind of a crazy thing. And it comes down the path, and there's a wrapper leaf that's already been cut by the machine, and it's held flat by air, air suction. It's still, this, is, this was uh, Hammerstein's uh, basic idea, and they're still basically using it today. So the, uh, the air allows the 
wrapper to lay flat. So as the tobacco comes in, it can go into the roller part and it just rolls it right up. And it's, it's I mean, you could stand there and stare at this thing for, for hours almost, you know, just watching this thing chop up cigars and it gets to the end and it chops the cigar. Uh, and the only thing is that the main thing is those cigars are, are mainly, uh, you know, uh, what we call value cigars or, or everyday stogies. And they they burn a little faster. They're a short filler. It's a completely different animal. But Hammerstein did not just create that machine. He went on and made dozens of other inventions. And a lot of them were for the cigar industry. And now and, this Oscar Hammerstein yeah. that, that invented the mm-hmm. cigar rolling machine, yes. this was the father of the lyricist? He's the grandfather of the great American lyricist Oscar Hammerstein II, who wrote for Showboat. Oh, see, that's what threw me. That's what threw me. So Oscar Hammerstein II is the grandson, Mm -hmm. not the son, of Oscar Hammerstein, the cigar machine um, inventor. Right. He was he was a German who very young age he was a teenager, came he was in Berlin, came to America before, you know, during the Civil War. We're going back here. Right. So he worked in New York City. There were these there were lots of actually there were lots of cigar uh, factories in New York City at the time. He got into the field. The guy was kind of I guess he was sort of born a genius. You know, he was one of those guys who just you know, had a knack. And, uh, he, you know, within the first few months, he devised this first a first of nearly like 100 of these machines that would transform cigar making. Wow. Uh, he died in 1919. But here's the thing. He also distinguished himself as a great theatrical manager. So he he was into opera and he managed all these theaters and he, he was really more of a showbiz guy than a cigar guy. It was a, a really weird life. So he would he would manage these theaters and then he would still go back to his little office on West 42nd Street, you know, and, and invent little things and stuff. You know, he's just a really interesting guy. That is, but, uh, yeah, uh, that certainly is interesting. Although yeah, I must say so, I disapprove of... Um, his grandson being able to use Oscar Hammerstein II. I think if you're not a direct descendant, then you have to start yeah. over again. Yeah, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Well, the, the, the machine, even though it was patented in 1883, it didn't come out until – he didn't really invent it fully until 1913, so I just want to get that clear. Oh, no, I, I appreciate but, you uh, yeah. clearing that up. Yeah, now, it's kind of, I, you get the connection, though, right? I do. I do. Um, yeah, okay. what, is, what is the difference – so it sounds like if there's a choice of all things being equal, a hand-rolled cigar mm-hmm. – Versus a machine rolled cigar, it sounds like you should always choose that that machine rolled cigars. I mean the well, uh, hand rolled cigars. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're talking about getting, I mean, those cigars are very consistent. They have a very good draw. You know, I mean, they're neat. Uh, but you know, a hand rolled premium cigar made in, in you know Dominican, Honduras, Nicaragua, whatever, Cuba, even uh, those are those those tobaccos are you know stripped by by hand. Uh, in terms of when they make the cigar, so they're, they're, they tear the leaves to certain lengths, depending on, depending on the blend, and it's rolled up. And you know, you're talking about something. And you know, Frank, as you do smoke cigars, you're getting a, a better aroma. You're getting more flavor. It's more complex. You know, you'll never get that from a, a machine-made cigar. They're just they're just made of chips of of tobacco, basically, with a homogenized wrapper, uh, which is you know, it's almost like a sheet roll. You know, ever see like a sheet of, of printing paper? Sure, sure. You know, when you go to a printing press, it's kind of like that. It's just this giant roll of, of printed printed tobacco. <laughs> it's a printed wrapper. No, it's wild. Uh, you alluded to the fact that uh, you rank the top cigars of 2021 on CigarAdvisors.com. If people want yes. to commemorate National Cigar Day on Sunday, 
uh, by lighting uh, something up. You gave the mild recommendation that right. Connecticut rapper to Joe in Ronkonkoma. What if somebody uh, likes a more full-bodied uh, smoke? What recommendation might you give to that person on National okay. Cigar Day? Excellent, excellent. I got a couple of them. I, in fact, I have I have a note here. It says five for Frank. I got five of them. Wonderful. For you. Let's see them. Okay, five cigars. So uh, let's start with the one you asked for. So I'd say that for the National Cigar Day, if you want to smoke like something classic, I came up with some classics here. The Liga Pravada Number no. Nine Toro uh, has a phenomenal, oily, delicious-looking Connecticut broadleaf uh, Scuro wrapper. It's it's um, like a six by fifty two. I think it's it's got flavors of oak. It's toasty. It's got some coffee, cinnamon. That's full body, full flavored. Also, the Padron. This is one of my favorites too. Padron nineteen sixty four anniversary imperial. It's also a Toro size cigar, around six by fifty. Uh, you get coffees of uh, coffees. You get flavors of coffee, cocoa. Hazelnut, these baking spices, very, very wonderful, marvelous cigars. By the way, how do how do those cigars get those hints of those other flavors that you alluded to of uh, of uh, coffee or or chocolate or any of the other flavors that people frequently report enjoying when they have a cigar? Where do those flavors, those scents, come from? Well, they come from the tobaccos themselves, and it comes from the way the tobaccos are aged. And the longer the cigars, uh, longer the longer the tobaccos rather are aged, uh, the the more you know, the more the flavors settle. There's there's less uh, the nicotine sort of goes out of it, the, the bitterness, all of that stuff. That's more, really more part of the fermentation process. But mm. the the blenders kind of they they know the tobacco, they know what they know what they're going to get from all these tobaccos, and they know and like a chef, they they just blend it in a certain way. They're they're looking for like a sweeter cigar. Maybe a, a spicier cigar, mm. um, you know. But but really, I think it's more subjective than anything. I mean, you know, what do you taste? I'm giving you like basically generic uh, ideas of these cigars. You I mean, you may not taste like in the Fuente Don Carlos Robusto. That's another one I recommend. That's kind of a medium bodied, medium to full. You know, there's it's very it's kind of cedary. It's kind of sweet. There's a little coffee thing in there. It's kind of nutty, and uh, you know. It's basically the, uh, your palate. Like your palate picks up. So some guys, you know, any of that. And if you watch our reviews on CigarAdvisor.com, every month we do a panel review, and uh, we we pick a cigar, and we and we and sometimes we just don't agree. We just say, you know, it's not an argument, but we just say, well, I didn't get that. You know, well, I got it. Well, I got it later on. Okay, you know. So it's really interesting. And then there's another one that I like. It's a CLE Corojo. 1118. Uh, it's made by CLE Cigars. It's Christian Iroa's company. I just interviewed him actually for an article. And his father actually was one of the first people, like one of the pioneers, who brought Cuban seed tobacco, uh, Cuban seeds into Honduras and grew it in Honduras and made it phenomenal, this, this Corojo tobacco. So this is a wonderful cigar. And I picked 1118 because that is a really interesting shape. Uh, it's, it starts out at six inches long. It starts out at like a 48 ring, and then it widens to like a 54, and then it skinnies out again to a 48. It's got a very unique hmm. shape, and it's kind of earthy. It's slightly spicy. There's a little molasses. It's nutty. It's medium body. That's a nice cigar, too. He would probably like that cigar, that the gentleman that called earlier. And then the fifth one is the Davidoff Anniversario Number no. 3. This hmm. is a classic. This is another one that would be great for him. Now, I thought uh, you were not a big Davidoff person. No, I I love their cigars. Uh, yeah. Did, I, did you no. tell me they were a little overpriced? Maybe, maybe that was. Well, they it. are pricey. That's true. I mean, you know, but uh, they they, you know what? To tell you the truth, some of the Davidoffs, 
uh, when you smoke them, uh, they're, they're so consistent and mm. so well done that you almost could say, well, you know, it's, it, was, it was worth it. You know, they, they kind of make, you make up for it. How do they do that? hit a home run with so many of their cigars? Well, because when Zeno Davidoff started the company way back uh, in Europe and the Cubans were making them, he was very, very particular, very particular. And I believe, I don't know what year it was now, maybe it was 68 or something. He, or, he, he actually, the Cubans uh, came up with, uh, you know, a batch of cigars for him and they didn't taste right. And he had them all taken out and burned. Mm. He just literally burned the entire batch, set it on fire. And uh, then he, he said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not working with uh, Cubans anymore. And then they moved the operation to the Dominican Republic. Wow. Uh, so he was, you know, so his standards and, of course, the, the, the gentleman that makes him, Heinrich, Henrik Kellner, um, Davidoff, you know, he's got very high standards, too. So they're very creamy. They're cedary. They're kind of nutty. They have this honeyed sweetness to them. That's another nice cigar. Uh, so those are the, the five that I thought would be great if you want to smoke a real classic. Cool. No, that, that sounds great. Jim in New Hampshire has a question for you, Gary. Jim, you're on with Gary Korb from CigarAdvisor.com. Hit me, Jim. Go ahead. Gary, I smoke cigars very occasionally, so I'm not very hip. Um, That's cool. But most of, the, most of the cigars I smoke have the hole at the end. You don't need to clip really? them. My friends, hmm. my friends insist that you need to clip them. But I find with the, when you clip the tip the little leaves getting your mouth and everything. Is it really uh, worth clipping? No, you've got what, and I was just telling Frank about this. You've got a short filler cigar there. That, that was that a machine made cigar? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Just what you buy at the grocery store. Right. Okay. Well, that's what they do is some of the brands are pre, uh, you know, the pre cut or pre pierced. And because these, the tobacco is in bits, it's, uh, you know, if it, you get a very good draw. So what's happening is what you're doing is you're actually making it uncomfortable for yourself because you cut it off. And now all those little bits of tobacco are coming out. Right. I mean, if a cigar it. like that has a hole in it, Gary, he doesn't need to cut it further. Right. No, no, you don't yeah. need to cut it. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, uh, Jim, I think your friends are, um, you know, you are talking mostly about cigars that uh, are on are, are, that yeah. don't have a hole, which you might want to try. You. I know you don't cigar, uh, smoke. You're not a big cigar smoker, but try mm-hmm. one of the ones that Gary's recommending. I think it'll I think it'll improve your your cigar experience very quickly, Gary, before we run out of yeah. time. I've been reading sure. all week about mm-hmm. um, Francis Ford Coppola because I'm just intrigued mm-hmm. At how he's been able to turn making movies into a wine and uh, resort oh. and cigar empire. Now he apparently produces these cigars. Uh, he uh, that he named evidently for his father, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the they're called the Carmine, and he also has a Carmine <laughs> Thrifty cigar. Now I don't think I've ever tried one of these Coppola cigars. Do you know anything about these Coppola-produced cigars? Apparently there's the Carmine Premium Cigars and then the Carmine Thrifty. I got to be honest with you, Frank. um, I don't really know too much about it, but there was an article, I think, in, oh, way back um, about, you know, there was an interview with Coppola um, back in October of 03, you know, where they talked about... uh, you know, 
his movies and stuff, but I really, I really don't have too much information. All right, well, we're going to give you that as a homework assignment for you. That's okay. That's okay. That's what I get for throwing stuff at you last minute. We'll give you that as a homework assignment um, next time. Now, a couple of other people have emailed questions in for you. Daniel writes, I was recently given a cigar named Uh Guardian of the Farm made by a Nicaraguan maker. I thought it was fantastic with nutty accents. It is not a very expensive cigar. My question are my questions are does price dictate quality of a cigar and could you recommend any other nicaraguan cigars that's from dan absolutely um well in a way it does uh because well first of all the prices of cigars are going up just like everything else which is kind of disappointing but yes the the higher the quality of the tobacco and the more work that goes into Creating that cigar, in other words, the fermentation, the aging, all that stuff, uh, the more expensive it's going to be because they everything is done basically by the pound. You know, things are weighed. Uh, you know, they, they know exactly how much tobacco they need to use for particular cigars, particular blend, what, you know, what, what tobaccos, you know, ter- in terms of what age. Uh, so that's what, that's what does dictate the price a lot. You know, the quality of the wrapper, the wrapper is the most expensive leaf on that cigar because wrapper leaf does not, um, you don't get as much wrapper leaf in a yield of a harvest of tobacco as you do say the fillers and the binders and stuff like that. So that's what makes it, you know, a little more expensive. All right. Last question here. That's a very good cigar, by the way, Gardening of the Farm. Excellent. He's by Warped. Last question here from Fred. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you please ask your guest why La Flor Dominica double Ligero cigars are so hard to get? It's been going on about two years now. I'm a huge fan Uh, of them, especially the 700s and Digger cigars. You know anything about this? Okay, La Flor Dominicana. Yes, this, they're made by Lito Gomez in the Dominican Republic. The guy who makes some great cigars. That cigar is, I guess, is some kind of a cult cigar. You know, um, they. Uh, um, I'm sorry, Frank. I, I lost my train of thought. What was your question? Uh, it's the why they're so why hard. They, why are they always running out of them? Yeah, why are they so hard to get for the last two well, years? Well, they're probably, like I said, well, he, well, he makes cigars in very limited um, uh, limited lots, you know. So it just could be that that particular cigar is very, very popular. I know the chisel, the double hero chisel, sometimes is hard to get. And, he, may, you know, he may be having some... Uh, production issues lately, you know, with COVID and stuff, some of the factories have been affected by it. I don't know. I don't really, um, you know, know too much about La Florida Minicana other than I know they make a really great cigar. Right, and, so maybe uh, it's a supply but, chain issue or something else. It could be that, or just it's a cultish cigar and, you know, yeah, he only makes so many and then they come in. We have cigars that come into the store that we're associated with and um, they're gone in a couple of days. <laughs> you know, I, I can imagine. Gary, gone. Uh, we got to run. I uh, I okay. appreciate you taking the time. I understand you sure. ran into my Uncle Joe at a cigar shop in Pennsylvania yes. recently. That's always an experience. Next time you nice, see him, man. please tell him I said hello. I will, and I hope I get to see him again. He was really great. Yeah, no, I'm sure he's, nice uh, I know he's a fan of yours. Thank you very much. Yeah. Gary Korb, check him out at CigarAdvisor.com. It is National Cigar Day on Sunday. I, by hook or by crook, I'm going to find a way to smoke a cigar. 15 seconds of fame next. 800-848-WABC. Three open lines. Now's the time. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. WABC. 
You know, we actually are almost out of time here. So uh, rather than 15 seconds of fame, we're going to give a few of you uh, five seconds of fame. Anthony and Edison, hello. Yes, my advice to the uh, Ukrainian people is snipers, grenades, uh, dynamite, and, and, and cost. Mike in Staten Island. 